0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzansky and Dave Friedman. Uh, we've got a great panel of people lined up with us tonight uh, for a dedicated show dedicated to Edward Van Halen. Uh, we've got, obviously, Dave Friedman. What's up, Dave? Hello. We've got the fantabulous Pete Thorne. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. We've got Michael Nielsen from Big Harry Guitars. Hey, y'all. And David Black from Seduce, Detroit. In the Detroit area. Well, representing the Detroit area. <laughs> <laughs> Hope everybody's doing good tonight. Um, I want to make sure that everybody knows that all super chats tonight will be donated to the Mr. Holland's Opus Foundation and St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So if you guys donate anything to the show, um, we will be splitting that to these two donations, you know, these two charities. Okay. Um, All right. So I also want to know if anybody knows where that music came from that I just played in the opening video. If anybody knows that, I'm just curious, just curious if anybody can get that. If you, if you, the first person in the chat who gets that, I will give you something for free. You just have to contact me on Facebook. I'll send you something. I haven't thought about what it is yet. Random stuff from your house, yeah. Just yeah, I might send a pot or a pan or something. Yeah, old
1: moldy cheese or something. Exactly, exactly. Uh,
0: but if Ed, if someone knows what where that came from, what where that music was from, and I didn't play can call
2: it, call a friend. <laughs>
1: <laughs> can I call? Can I call a friend for help. Friend.
2: <laughs> you didn't
0: hear any music. It was there was an opening video. If you didn't hear it then you're going to have to check it out when we're done.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> Dan, Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer first one. Dan Pfeiffer with the uh, first Super Chat. You rock, Dan. Love the show and great cause. Thanks, guys. Uh, and then we got another one. Rest in peace, EVH from JCA. Thank you, guys. I'll try to get to as most of these as I can. And I think Gear Boy, you got it, dude. I just sound like the kid from uh, Fuller House. You got it, dude. Um, contact me, Gear Boy. Send me an email at tone talk mark, M A R C, tone talk mark at uh, gmail.com, and I'll send you something, Gear Boy.
1: Wait, first of all, though, that reference, you actually watched that show or watched that show? Fuller House? Dude,
0: <laughs> come on. I got kids. Yeah, but really? I've got kids. Don't make fun of me. i got kids. Yeah,
3: be nice to Mark.
0: I'm being nice. So I, what we'd like to do is, uh, that's all right. I deserve to get ribbed. I also posted on the Groom Noodler site, I posted uh, that I watched Ellen because uh, Bon Jovi was on Ellen. Oh, no. And I totally got ripped on that, too. Everybody was like, you watch Ellen? I'm like, Bon Jovi was on. It was on TV. What do you want
1: from my life? Were they Were they giving you crap for watching Bon Jovi or watching Ellen?
0: I think it was both, really. Was- <laughs> <laughs>
1: did
0: Phil
2: X play on Ellen? What's that? Yeah. Phil that's X on Ellen? That. Yeah. And he did- was it? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Man, that would have been great, dude. Yeah. Did,
0: someone wrote, hilarious, Dave, yeah. M-S-Y-F. <laughs> uh-huh. okay. It was funny. Um, so I'm just kidding. Um, so we got a lot to go into tonight. I've got pictures, uh, some a lot of things. I'm going to be sharing my screen a lot. Um, so And we're going to be asking Dave Friedman a lot of questions. I know David Black saw Van Halen on the second tour, I believe. So we're going to get into that um, and a whole bunch of other things. But I just wanted to... Uh, quickly share my screen and just show this picture um i don't know if you guys can see that uh it's not doing it
1: it was working for a sec there yeah it was there for a minute and then you clicked on something
0: okay there There we go okay all right perfect so just wanted to say how much of a huge influence this man has been on my musical life um such a huge fan of ed I shouldn't, I don't know why I call him Ed, like his friends, but I, I, you know, Eddie Van Halen, as I knew him when growing up, um, just such an amazing musician, the music that he wrote, not just some shredder, just an amazing player, but also the songs were just so meaningful to me. So happy. So it just reminds me of summertime, having fun, fun with my friends. So anyway, I just wanted to dedicate this show and I know all you guys love Edward Van Halen as much as I do and his music. So, uh, know maybe we can go around the room i just shared a little bit but you know i'm curious i I first heard van halen when i you know i i grew up i was born in 68 so around 1980 is when i when i was 12 when i first heard van halen one i was in camp i was with my friends one of my friends who i actually hung out with today for a little bit and uh just remember listening to eruption with our mouths open just wondering like what is that? I know people have said that, you know, but is it two people playing? Is that a synthesizer? What, what the fuck is that? Uh, and I wasn't even playing guitar back then just to me as a, as a person appreciating music, it was so over the top. So, um, anyway, that's, that's my thoughts. I don't know if you guys want to go, maybe uh Dave Friedman. I'm curious when, when you first heard,
1: you know, that's a little foggy. I I don't quite remember that moment. Um, I mean, it probably was a little bit after, uh, it was probably around 1980-ish or something, probably, that we, st- I st- we started in on that with my friend Marty. Um, so I, there wasn't that day when it came out that I heard it. You know what I mean? It was, right. It, it was something like I was getting into music and getting into stuff. And I think the first concert I saw was The Who in 1981. And, um, you know, I was, I don't know. I don't know how old I was. <laughs> I'd have to count the years. Born in 68, so there you go, 12, 13, something like that. Um and uh and then the, the funny thing is I, I got into Van Halen, but then I got my friend and I really got into like really heavy heavy stuff. Like super death metal kind of stuff for for a short period of time. And then we kind of trans you know, got out of that and then it was full on you know, Van Halen, 80s, hair metal, rock, you know, full-on all those bands, you know.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, uh, I saw them for the first time in 1984 on the 1984 tour. Opening with Unchained. Can't ever forget that. Crushingly loud at Joe Louis Arena.
2: That's gone. gone. I was going <clears> to <throat> say, where is that? Uh, oh, Detroit? Well,
1: okay. Not anymore. It's gone. Yeah
2: they tore it down yeah yep. wow. it down.
0: I was I I didn't get a chance to see him the first round and then I was so disappointed when uh you know when Dave left and Sammy joined I had I, I was really physically sick over that like <laughs> I was just like oh man like what this sucks my favorite band you know um to- totally remembered. so I never really saw them with Sammy either i kind of boycotted it, i was just like that's ah, not my thing <laughs> years later i've appreciated the band and the music um but anyway uh david black what about you man
2: when did you first hear him? jeez i'm the oldest out of all you guys probably i would bet i am going to be 59 in two days oh. How old are you guys am i older than all you guys yeah, I think yeah. So, yes no i remember dude because i it's like I was there when it happened, you know what I mean? Like in the, in the midst of your day-to-day world, you know, it was like, uh, you had Aerosmith and like, like the context of it all, it was different. You know, like the bands you heard on the radio and stuff. Yeah, Aerosmith, Foghat, Ted Nugent, Led Zeppelin. Oh. You know, all, all the original stuff, kind of the foundational stuff. And that one day sitting in my car, Craig Powerplay cassette player, Jensen Coaxial's in the back. Mm-hmm. the chords to all oh, you really got me on the radio the single had just come out the record wasn't even out yet but you just heard that sound and it's like what is that i've been listening to black sabbath and purple and zeppelin and all oh, yeah, that's what you came up with but there wasn't anything that sounded like that it was distinctly different there was something about it that, and it just it sounded great in the car it just jumped out at, at you yeah. and then Later on, I was at a field party, standing around a van, and the door was open, and someone had the whole tape, and that's why I heard Eruption, and it's just like, wow, standing outside, fire, bunch of dudes hanging out, and it's like, yeah, but it was like, you saw it as it came up in the context of everything else. It wasn't just like, oh, this band or Led Zeppelin and everything happened before my time. That was like the generation before, so Van Halen happened as my generation happened, you know, it was a great time it was a great time for music that makes sense
1: yeah
3: totally. yeah totally i love that story man i mean just the van and the field and your party and yeah, the doors it open. i remember
1: I, I almost remember that kind of vibe you know like well, even yeah. when i was a kid at that point you know like i, I remember that.
2: Kind of. me and dave were talking about it the other day there were two rock magazines cream and circus there wasn't any mtv a vhs was a very exotic device at that point in time Mm-hmm. And oh, you heard what was? They didn't play good music on the radio. You didn't hear Black Sabbath on the radio. It was John Cougar Mellencamp and Journey, Boston, Kansas, Foreigner, Sticks. That was like the radio staple at that point in time. Mm-hmm. And Van Halen kind of changed that because they were so accessible. All the stuff that Mark said in your introduction sounded like everything that Van Halen wanted to do. They touched you in just the way that they, it was designed to do. Yep yeah uh, and i was the perfect age at
0: that, yeah that's crazy and so michael what about you
5: uh i was like 11 ish when i started like really discovering music and playing guitar so that was i'm a 74 baby so that was like fifty-one, fifty had come out so i came in sammy already was there mm. i knew the van halen songs from the radio but like Steve Vai existed, that John Sykes existed, there was all these amazing virtuosos. And so when I got into Van Halen, it wasn't that it like shook up my world in terms of like, how is anyone doing this? It was just, it was so good. And the songs were so good. They just went straight to the top and I could listen to them in front of my family and stuff too. Like I couldn't put on Ozzy and with that but I could throw on Van Halen all day long. And then I ended up going back through the catalog, uh, you know, and discovering backwards, like, oh, my God, fair warning. This is, like, the greatest album ever. And then you keep going back. Van Halen 2, this is the greatest album ever. Van Halen 1, this is the greatest album ever.
0: (laughs) That's true. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, so that's why you discovered them later, you know, with the 5150 stuff.
5: Yeah. Actually kind of the same time because OU812 kind of just was coming out Mm -hmm. and I was discovering the old stuff. So I really have no Sam – Dave Bias uh, I, I like them both they hit me at the same time so I just got two bands
0: right right and Pete what about you when did you uh first hear them
3: well I was thinking about it and I think my first memory and it might have been earlier than this that I'd heard them but my first real memory of making an imprint on me was the crazy uh, pretty woman video
4: <laughs>
3: so I it must have been uh when in Canada where I grew up we had much music instead of MTV that was a music channel. Oh, really? And, yeah, it was called Much Music. And um, a different channel, you know. And we didn't really have MTV up there. And I, I can remember the video for that with this, just the crazy, you know, Mike dressed like a samurai and, you know, the, 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 the guy in drag and all that stuff. And it was just like, this: what is this? This is insane. That's, like, my first memory of it. Um, but I might have heard them before that. But that was when I probably, like, so around 82, So, because I'm just that makes sense because I'm just a few years older than Michael so it's like Mm -hmm. getting into them around 82 and that was Diver Down era um and then going backwards and going whoa so by the time 84 came out I was pumped I was like ready I already I I know that like by the time that that concert was going to happen uh and by the time like the you know video for Jump and Panama and all that came out I was a full-blown fan by then so I'd obviously gone back and listened I waited outside um the Southgate shopping center all night long. I don't know why my mom let me do that at that age, but I <laughs> <sky> <laughs> out from like 1030 no, till yeah. Went, went yeah. before pre Ticketmaster, right? Oh, yeah. So yeah, had yeah, no, yeah wait
1: record store, man. Yeah.
3: Record store. Yep. That's it. Camped out for tickets. Yeah. And, uh, and I got, I got third row floor for the 1984 tour. I remember that. And I was way on one end, but I was really close <laughs> and I was in front of the old Dave. And I talk about PAs a lot in front of the old box style PA, you know, like it was literally like, like 15 feet in front of me or whatever, 20 feet in front of me. Cause I was in third row. And when they came out and they started with Unchained, it was so loud that I couldn't even hear what, was going, what song it was. And it was awesome. It was like, yeah, <laughs> I remember being able to feel the wind of the sound. Like,
1: right. The, you don't get that anymore. Blowing. We, we discussed this.
3: Yeah. yeah. But I was so into it. And then, you know, when Dave left, um, I don't remember being like devastated or anything like that. I remember really enjoying it going, well, let's see what they do next. And then Sammy joined and I just watched the uh, uh, live without a net show the other day, which is a great show, show. which is a great show. I mean, it's like, no matter how, you know, whether you prefer, it's it's like my, my impression watching it the other night was, and I remember feeling like this as a kid was, it was like, man, how much fun can you possibly have playing rock music? They're having it in this concert. It's just crazy. It's like, how do they even have that much energy to get up there and, run around like that and go crazy and ed's just brilliant on that show so even though musically i the the six-pack you know the early stuff is what i i gravitate towards i still really enjoyed that the whole era and i enjoyed it i've been listening to more to ou812 and i went and listened the other night to uh for unlawful carnal knowledge and i hadn't listened to this stuff in a long time to be honest you know i was listening to balance and watching some stuff from because it's like well you know you know, it's really sad and he's not here anymore, but there's all this great music that I can go back and spend some time with that I haven't spent a lot of time with. Cause I, I sort of just always gravitate towards the Dave stuff. Yeah. There's, a, yeah. there's just a lot I haven't listened to um, closely,
0: you know, and which is great. I mean, that's, that's the amazing part. He did have a long list of music, you know, they, they did. So there's a, still a lot of stuff to go through. I mean,
3: yeah, for me, like I haven't even given three a chance. Like, I'm there. Exactly. Never- Exactly. And like a lot of people, I think, are like that. I right. have even three. Yeah. And three is an interesting album to listen to. If you just listen to it from the perspective of, okay, I'm going to listen for musical ideas on this. Not necessarily like, I want to just put this on as background music. And you, you'll be like, oh, I don't like this record. If you really listen to it, it's like and approach. It almost like, what if this were like just his demos or something? Or, and you listen to it. It's like, there's some great stuff on there. Some great. Right. A lot of the songs are like bordering on five and a half minutes and, could be edited a bit or something, but it's really great. It's like, and there's so much I, I have to go back and listen to too, you know, where it's like, man, I got to listen to these records. I haven't listened to in a long time. The first six I listen to all the time.
1: <laughs> right. But You know, but, but, like, you know, day. but we, we had that discussion. I think it was a, you and I that had the discussion or maybe I don't remember now. <laughs> yeah. I think I brought it up on um, your show. Um, the influence of the singer and the producers on Van Halen is pretty immense yeah the you know david the roth era van halen was definitely guided by dave on what you know eddie's riffs of course and and you know collaborative effect you know thing but but it was guided by dave and and ted templeman
2: master uh, of ceremonies master of ceremonies
1: yeah master of ceremonies but then and then but then when sammy comes in there's a lot of influence of Sammy on that music. Tons. The whole yeah. style is almost different. Mm-hmm. And um it's actually a lot similar to his own solo work, uh, with a much better guitar player.
3: <laughs> you think maybe like in listening to jump and stuff though, and then getting into you know OU812 and those records? Like, I think Ed was going in kind of that he was happy playing keyboards and doing well, he, yeah.
0: he wrote right now. Back in the Dave days, did right? he? Yeah, he said mm. he had that music, but Dave
1: didn't want to do it. Mm. Again, a guided by Dave mm. kind of thing. Well, there you go. Okay, that's so true. you know, it, it, you know that's that's the thing. And then, and then three, like we mentioned, is is Ed's album. Yeah, with without production and without you know, right. I mean there might have been a producer on that. I don't remember so without like oversight mm. or guidance or kind of without kind of oversight and guidance or reins.
5: <laughs> that was also in an era that was pretty tough to come because everything had changed and things were still changing yeah. quickly so to even put out any album from a band that had existed for 10 years or 15 years there was a mm. total identity crisis for most bands that showed up
3: that's a very interesting point true 97 98
5: mm-hmm.
3: you're right it wasn't really transitional like we were coming out of It was a grunge into new metal.
5: Yeah. Everything was just weird.
3: It's true. Yeah. I
0: just want to get to some of the super chats. Variac 90, which I wonder where you got that from. (laughs) 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 Uh, Another Ed fan. That's awesome. Thanks for doing this, Mark and Dave. Thanks for everything, Ed. We'll keep the flame burning. Rest in peace. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you for the super chat. Really appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to go slow so I don't pass everybody.
5: While you're doing that, Pete, um about Live Without a Net, I was showing a, a guitar for the Practicing Musician magazine that was that era. And mm. they asked him, like, what did you think of that show? And he said they had been filming two or three shows, and uh, I think something went wrong. And finally they were just like, fuck it. Uh, this is the one, whatever happens on this one, we're just going to put that out. Mm. And the interviewer asked, well, what did you think? He's like, yeah, it wasn't that good. <laughs> I think it was amazing yeah it was really
1: good
3: he was his own worst critic like anyone i mean i you know i remember seeing them in 2012 and then hitting him up after the show and going you were amazing tonight it was awesome and him saying i just couldn't get anything going tonight (laughs) i just couldn't make it happen you know that kind of yeah i was like
1: i think that's i think that's the way everyone is you know yeah. what i mean like <laughs> yeah you know true. it's like dave david you come off stage and you'd say the same thing ah no nah, i wasn't
2: yeah i wasn't good. The- i never have a like, good going, night.
1: that was great what are you kidding
2: <laughs> <laughs> i never have a good night but when i do i know it no. <laughs> dave, dave, do you ever have
3: do you ever have a good night like you're like man i was on fi- i was on fire night and then you get off stage and
2: people are like yeah, yeah. yeah, it was okay. You're like, no, tonight was it? Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> <laughs> My tone sounded great. I couldn't hear you, you know? Yeah, yeah. I wish guitar was louder than in the mix. And you're like, yeah. shit. It's funny, you know, I, I, I did, you know, just because of this, I thought back. And it's like, to me, I came up the same way. Backyard parties, hall parties beer parties, and then you kind of move from that into like like the way Eddie came up, from the same generation, that's how people came up back then, you know what I mean, and that's kind of changed a little bit, People, you know, those, that was paying your dues back in the day, or around here that's what it was, you know, right. it doesn't. you could go out as a kid, once you got going, and you could play three or four nights a week, you could live in a house with a bunch of your bros, start a band, and you could float the house off what you made playing, and that's all you did. You know, is that, do people still do that? Is that a thing still, or no? It's you, make, clear. you make like, you make it like I mean, not now like COVID time, but I mean like in recent times, it just seems like it's kind of different now how people develop, but they're they're not as close as they used to be. You know, Dude, I mean? when I when I first, when went I first went to, to uh,
3: uh, L.A. Oh, I gotta. Oh, go oh. whoa, whoa That better. That better. Strange. I'm just going to turn it down. Um, when I first moved to L.A., uh, I worked for a little while in a store out in San Gabriel Valley. And a lot of guys would come in that store and say, I saw Van Halen in 1974. I saw Van Halen in 1976. at, a, at like a friend's backyard party or at the, you know, sure. at, the, at the bar in you know, blah, blah, blah. A lot of people would be like, man, they played at my friend's birthday party. They played here. They played there it was amazing say like everybody in the san gabriel valley these were dudes that were like a little bit older you know maybe 50 or something like that and i'm like 20 early 20s you know and these guys right. had been there they'd seen them play they just played it all the time
2: oh Man. yeah the, you now you can go back and hear the, the stuff they used to cover rock and roll hoochie coo and space truck and yeah. all these crazy covers <laughs> they used to do and it's like i used to do the same thing it's great you know yeah, they did the <laughs> real the rover by zeppelin i've heard oh yeah Plus, yeah, like,
3: plus, like, uh, like, they, when they play like Cool in the Gang and stuff like that too, and do like oh, yeah. rock versions,
2: you know, right? But then when they finally come out, and you have David Lee Roth as frontman, that explains where the entertainment aspect of their band came from. It wasn't four dudes just looking at their shoes. It's like they had all that experience from playing all those different kind of songs to kind of show it off. You know, does yeah. that make sense?
3: yeah man. I mean, they used to play Gazares and all those places, and there'd be two bands at night. Dave's got a story to tell about that too, but my friend Frank Simes used to play in a band called The Whiz Kids, and they would play opposite Van Halen on two different stages in Gazares. Sure. Wiz Kids was like a more like a glam band, and the, the, the girls really liked them because they they played a lot of the tunes that you know that like that you could dance to and stuff like that. So Van Halen, I remember Frank saying they were very competitive, like they were buddies, but like they'd get on stage and David just be like, Wiz kids had finished and then they'd start and, you know, they'd be like, come on, let's get the crowd, you know, and like just trying. So it was like that, you know, that entertainment. Right.
1: right. Uh, yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. We also yeah, had, I mean, uh, okay. No, sorry.
1: D- David, when you were playing in that era, how many nights a week at one point in time, how many nights a week were you playing? Dude, I do like to uh, do say three,
2: four forty-fives a night, four or five nights a week. Wow. Yeah. You'd make all the mistakes. You can make all the mistakes. I've made them all you'd be so freaking tight after. after well, yeah. Days. When
1: I used to go see these guys, man, <laughs> at that point they were so fucking tight. Right. It didn't mean it. It didn't matter if they and they could play the with their eyes shut and falling and down, and they would still be tight. It's crazy.
2: Right. Oh, awesome. And I'm sure that happened.
0: <laughs> and the same with Van Halen. I mean, they that's how they got amazing even before they got signed, you know, just playing all the time.
3: Like the Beatles. Yeah. It's the thing the Beatles and Van Halen have in common. They were both great cover bands and they both just slayed live. Totally. Know, totally. Go out totally. there, No monitors, like forget it. They go out there and play. Just like you know, thing great. Right.
1: Did anyone see that thing that was just posted um from 1974, I think, at Gazaris with Van Halen playing covers.
2: Maybe that's the thing. I, I just, just saw up. it on YouTube. I don't think that's so. Cool. Yeah. I yeah guess I it out.
1: In passing on Facebook or whatever. And it was like, you know, it was a video. No, no, no video. Just audio. But Audio. But I, was, I may have heard that. I may have heard that. Really super cool. Yeah. Um, by the way, I just want to uh, say um,
0: David Crosby, go fuck yourself. Um just want to <laughs> throw that out
3: there he did apologize which i thought was nice i thought he he said you know i didn't actually realize that he would passed away and i was just sort of and i was like okay i guess that if if it's not your taste then it's one thing you know but yeah it's
1: not his taste whatever
3: it he apologized he said i should have kept my mouth shut and i didn't even realize he was you know and so it was like i mean it made a little more sense at that point i was like
1: okay I Guess, but like,
3: I
2: don't,
1: how do you not know he
2: passed out of of
1: it? your mouth? Well, no, it's like everywhere.
2: we <laughs> no. were talking a while ago about how much smaller the world was without all this stuff, it was, yeah. it was better.
1: That's true, that's true,
0: that's true. Uh, Chris Quinn, thank you for the super chat. Did Eddie ever record with a Jose amp? Unchained Cerns sure sounds like a Jose, that grainy sound, but most people say he recorded with one plexi.
1: No. He used one amp recording all those six records. Period, and it's stock. Well, relatively stock. What does relatively stock mean? Well, meaning like it's it's a relatively stock specimen with maybe a few minor (laughs) things that don't really just slight little things that don't really do much. Okay. Now I, have- I mean, you know, it's a stock circuit. I meaning there's not a gain circuit added. 100K yeah.
3: feedback on the 4-ohm
1: tap. Fat yeah, tap. maybe. Or 47K. <laughs> Depends on who who we're talking about.
0: <laughs> uh, we got a super chat from Vincent Moretti. Love you guys. Thank you. Question for Pete and Dave. What do you know, if anything, about Ed re-recording live here right now? Sammy said, Ed redid all of it. Is it true? And how did he get the sound live? Rest in peace,
1: Ed. I don't know that. No clue. Yeah, I don't I, I can't don't know even that think that. of the song at the moment. I mean, I know kind of the song, but... Does
3: that mean that I think he, there's a live show, a concert? A
5: double album, right? A yeah, double album, album right? Out, uh, after F-U-C-K, and it had um, the Who cover on it, and... Oh, Yeah. I don't know. For me, it didn't even matter. I I don't know. For me, after F.U.C.K.,
1: everything was over with.
0: Well, I mean, I still listen to this stuff. Um, So I'm trying to find the super chat from Michael Garrett Weber. I can't put it on the screen, bro. For some reason, it's not letting me, but I see your super chat for $50. Thank you very much. Uh, Those charities will appreciate it. Um, I'm going to go through some pictures because I wanted to uh, pick your brain, Dave. So Dave Friedman sent me um, some images of the rigs that you've built for Ed over the years. Mm -hmm. So um, so while I'm putting them up, why don't you talk about when you first met Ed? I think we talked about this a little bit last time.
1: That's a little foggy when I first met him. I I do remember... Meeting him when they were recording um, the Fuck record with Andy Johns, and um, <laughs> wow, look <laughs> at that pictures. That's I know, look at the cool. picture, right? Look at that, and look look at look what he's playing through. Ooh, it's like that's, a padded awesome. cab or something. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Rad. Yeah, yeah well, that's a that's picture. great, man. Uh, yeah, drums right in the ground, a tarp or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, it looks like one bass drum is bigger than the other, too.
1: And yeah, no front heads, drummers, you, you know. do that, you
2: just you put your generator control. in the background.
1: No, no, yeah, no, no front heads on anything. That's a <laughs> 70s thing. Yeah, no heads on the back. Yeah, uh,
0: funny. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go to uh, some of the rigs that you built. Um, so. This, is this the earliest one that you worked on?
1: So that that would have been the. Uh, so anyway, what I was saying is, I the first time I met him, I think was, I think was the recording of the Fuck record. Uh, I delivered something to his studio, <clears throat> and he helped me deliver a four twelve cabinet to his studio, and he helped me with it out of the car.
0: <laughs> Amazing!
1: I think it was in my own car too. Uh, I think by that time um, Matt Bruck had started working with him, and Matt was an old friend of mine from Andy Brower Studio Rentals. So somehow I got to bring the cabinet up there. I think I was not working for Andy Brower Studio Rentals at the time, so I'm not sure how that happened. Hmm. Um, but that was a uh, specifically that was a slant JCM800 Marshall cabinet with 75 watt speakers in it. Which is what he wound up using on the record, and later buying from the rental company. So, so he used this Soldano on that record. It was this Sol- Soldano into this seventy-five watt JCM Eight Hundred cabinet. You know, nothing. He liked the way that sounded better with a Soldano. Which kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Soldano is a little furrier sounding of an amp, and those speakers are a little cleaner and more efficient. And it kind of, like, the marriage between them makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so then this rig that's on the picture here was done. Um, so the reunion tour, I just got these dates straight. I know Pete and I were talking about this the other day. So this reunion tour that he did with Sammy, it was uh, the that last Sammy tour that they did. It was in 2004, from what I have gathered from these picture actual dates. So uh, sometime in 2004, I assembled this rig for him, for for that tour. Um, and there's a pedal board, which I think I sent you a picture of, Mark.
0: Is you that know? the back of that?
1: The back of that rig. Wow. And, and then that was the pedal board for it. Now that big beige thing in the center was a um, was a uh, you know I'm looking at that picture now that that the way that picture is might be a little bit later because
0: what the hell's going on here Sorry.
1: I think <laughs> I think that EVH switcher is that the PV that's not the PV switcher is it No, that's the that's for the EVH amp. Looks like it though, right? Yeah, isn't that other white switch just for the pedals? Not like the white know. switch was for the pedals, yes. Well, th- uh, this was relatively... This did go with that other rig. And um, I do believe that it might have been updated later with the newer amp. So this just might be a picture that's a little... Updated later. Updated. Yeah, but this says flanger. I know that... It, yeah, that, that, that switcher was a switcher that George Sayre had made for Ed and was used on the... the sh- uh, Sharon tour um and that we just used it at that point in time just to, and and then, uh our, Lonnie topman was the guitar tech during this era and we know Lonnie Pete knows Lonnie
3: yeah Lonnie Tech for me for years yeah he was cool
1: great that. tech
0: so can we go back because I know we uh wait 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 which was the uh what was that rig jeez that we just looked at uh, I'm sorry, I'm switching around, guys. Okay, yeah. So, so let, let's talk about this for a second. So, what's in it, and what what was did he like tell you like what he wanted? Oh, very specifically. Okay, so like, let's talk. About <laughs> like, I I want to get into like, what's the conversation like with with him about like, okay, you know, this is what I want for the touring rig, and I'm just curious. We can go into that.
1: Well, well, here's the thing that you you learn over time in doing in dealing with artists and dealing with rigs is, is you keep your mouth shut <laughs> and and you let them tell you what they want and, and then essentially you go I can do that and uh, and you unless asked you don't put your two cents in because that wasn't going to work in the, in this camp at least every camp's a little different. <laughs> with, with how that works. Um, if, if they want your opinion, um, they will ask it generally speaking.
5: Dave, you feel like there was a point after working with him or other people for a longer period of time where you, you change your opinion, you just go in with a, I'm comfortable now throwing out my opinion. Um, or is it kind of, this is your, it depends on the
1: situation you gotta, you, you have to, you have to learn how to read the situation. Um still with with this camp you let him kind of tell you what what he was looking for. And, so and if, there were, if there, was, them if them a, and if there was a definite a problem, problem with what he wanted to do, I might say something, you know, like like that really can't be done, you know, or something like that, you know. But um you have to be Uh, you know, in, in a lot of camps, you have to be careful uh, not to overstep your, your uh, you'll be out of there really quick. If you overstep your uh, boundaries, you know what I mean? Mm
4: -hmm.
1: Uh, But every, but the thing, it's like a, it's like a psychological adventure. Every time you're dealing with (laughs) with an artist, (laughs) it's totally different and everyone is totally different. So over the years you have to learn how to, just kind of fit in with whatever, whoever they are, you know? Yeah. I mean, mean, working for artists, Pete, I'm sure you as a player too, you you kind of learned, you know, it's different with Chris Cornell to Don Henley. Yeah. (laughs) And how you, what you say, how you react and what, you know,
3: it's no different than, yeah, than your gig really. It's just you're on the road now. Now you're in, in that bus. And then, yeah, but yeah, I mean, Courtney loved Don Henley. I've, I've had some personalities, you know? Yeah, exactly. I I mean, it's, you know, generally speaking, uh, just being intuitive, like you say, and knowing when to speak up and knowing when to offer an opinion when you're doing it. But it's really like that with anybody, isn't it? I mean, if you're doing a job, you get hired to do something. Somebody's hiring you to remodel the kitchen, you know, and you come in and go, you know what you need is this over here and this over, you know, people are going to go, you know, I it's my house. I think I might know what I want, <laughs> you know, yeah. or at yeah, least yeah. have, you know, or, or maybe like, maybe you can offer me some options, wait for them to ask, you know, uh, but ask them, what do you want? You know, like, and then it helps you, you know,
1: exactly. Yeah. And you understand that, so, but there's a lot of people that don't understand that.
3: I guess so. Yeah. You yeah. know,
1: it, it, it doesn't.
3: Yeah. It's true. yeah.
1: You know, when you come in to someone with the caliber of Eddie Van Halen and, and you're, gonna offer your opinion right uh, you know right off the bat uh, I, yeah no i mean you know he's got you know 20 years of doing you know yeah touring the world and selling millions of records you know it's not you know
0: so, so what did he like what did he say to you the exactly for you well were,
1: here i mean he this is a, like you know he sort of knew I mean, a lot of this is a little bit left over from previous rigs. So, like so you know, he always, he, he for a long time, he'd been using the Roland SDE 3000 delays. So like four of them, you know, right? Uh, well, that's two rigs essentially in there. Oh, okay. So there's a backup. Um, so essentially this rig was this Line 6 uh, piece, uh, the, the Echo Pro, and that was only for... I don't remember what song it was. It was a song that they had done I think on the last like an extra song they had done on um right before this tour they did some sort of greatest hits package with Sammy. Oh like that Up and, for
3: Breakfast song maybe or something.
1: Yeah, and they and they and they and they did two new songs on it.
3: Yeah.
1: Right right, you know, when this was happening. And uh, there was some reverse delay part or something. Hmm. Uh, that he needed to uh, just trigger that for. He liked that unit; it worked for him. It was set on one setting, and there was a remote switch that would uh, was a human trigger being. a little relay box that I made uh, to just switch that in and out. Humans being, maybe oh, I'm not sure. Maybe okay, yeah. Um, and uh, so that was just a little reverse delay thing. It was used on one song for one little tiny part for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh. And then the PCM 70 is used for cathedral. Uh, occasionally, he, al- he also used to kick it in for like delays on top of delays just to get all trippy and spacey. Hmm. Uh, and this? then, other than that, the two SD 3000s were, you know, the stereo delays, essentially one set. Well, the delay times varied wildly depending on his mood, hmm. you know, 250, 500, 300, 600, or thereabouts.
5: Dave, were those uh, always on?
1: Those were on a lot. But they're kind of like echo, you know, just like ambient echo in the background.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: And then when he wanted like more delay on top of that, he would uh hit the PCM 70, even though it was on the setting for cathedral. He mm-hmm. ah. didn't, there's no MIDI or anything in this rig. Mm. Uh and then that top thing is a, a rack mount Smart Gate. That's you an know? MXR.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So he used to that that was inserted essentially in the loop of the
4: 5150
1: hmm. uh to just shut it up. So the rig was basically the pedals in a switcher, you know, the the you know, he had the wall and he had the um um ah, I don't know. I can't remember. Uh you know, yeah, what? octave yeah, you had it. Did I have it before? Yeah, it was, was you, it? Uh, yeah so, you know, you'd have the um, – he had a chorus in there. Later, he had an octave, uh, but he had a chorus and a flange and a phaser, just like he's always had. And uh, I think the octave was over here, actually. I think that was added later. Um, What's And that? then the, the switcher essentially switched the pedals in and out, and these two switches, one was – for uh, the PCM 70s, and one was for the um, the Rollins, maybe? Or one was the Line 6, and one was the, P- the the PCM, and then the other, the delays were here, and then there's three pedals. Something like that. And what was this thingy? Is that the octave? I think that's the octave that was added later, but I, actually in this picture, I don't think it's actually hooked up. <laughs>
0: yeah, it just looks like it's sitting yeah, it's wrapped around.
1: Things evolved and changed, right? And then later on, I, I grabbed these pictures off the internet. I didn't have these pictures. Oh, didn't you really. Yeah. So this is Wolfgang's setup. Yeah, but but let me explain the f- further on the setup. So essentially, that pedal board went to the front of the amps. This is a buffer here, Access Electronics buffer, that would drive a balanced line. Balanced, actually back to the uh amp rack and then it would unbalance at the amp rack so there was no noise in the line at all it's really clean because they ran a 50 foot snake maybe even longer if i recall Hmm. um and then it hit the amp you know he channel switched the amp which is the box is doing and then essentially a line out was uh, that goes to a dry cabinet a line out was taken that i built on the back of the rack and that feeds the PCM, well, it fed the loop box for the Line 6 delay. Then that fed the PCM 70 and fed out stereo to the two delays to the H&H power amp. And then they could link more H&H power amps for more cabinets. Now, the,
0: the, at the bottom of the rack that we were looking at, which let me go back to that. Uh,
1: two H&H power amps. These are the two H&H power mm-hmm. amps. Yeah, and now this rig, there's two rigs. So this was two complete rigs, but there was another rack separate that had more H and H power amps in it uh, that powered some cabinets on. Uh, well, at this time, Michael Anthony's uh, side, and later Wolfgang's.
3: So, uh, so you've got four channels of power amp there,
1: like you would would. Well, this know. is a backup rig, so there's okay. Yeah. He's only using one power amp with one rig, and then got you it. know. The other or the other is a backup so sure and in terms of the heads he's just all one head just one head
0: all backups
1: yep did but night depending on how the head sounds he might switch to a different head
0: mm. did you have any issues with those pvs at the time
1: no those they those pvs are, i'm not sure how but they seem to like always work like <laughs> they're no they're built like yeah they're, they're tanks like awfully I mean, theoretically, they should break, but they don't seem to break.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, did he just have stock fifty-one fifties? Like you know, stock.
1: I mean, you know, he chose the uh, specific tubes that were in him Um, during this era. I think it was just Chinese six L sixes. Um, pretty sure.
0: I liked his uh, his cable bend.
1: oh yeah yeah that cable that that yeah that was the thing um during that era there was no wireless it was a long ass cable and uh and they had the yellow heat shrink on the cable uh every you know foot or so so he could see it on stage all the time (laughs) because he didn't want to step on it and trip and fall or whatever that's you know and i think during this time didn't he also still have the, the little thing hanging off the guitar i'm pretty sure that big bar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't the huge bar, but it was the second one that was a l- little bit longer. It was like an eye bolt screwed into the side of the guitar.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so keep it away from his feet, essentially. Right. Right, right. Yeah. That's why. And he liked this. Speci- uh, God, I can't remember. There was a specific cable that we used, too, I think. The first cable was George L, actually. Really? But then later, it it was something else. And I can't remember what it was.
4: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Actually, for the really long length, the jar gel worked really well. Hmm. Interesting. But it was real fragile. So this is a picture I got from uh, Japan. Japan. Mm -hmm. So So the the bottom right amp at the bottom, I worked on before. Actually, I probably worked on a couple of those. Uh, which one is the amp? The amp is not pictured here I don't think. think. It's there, right? Not sure
3: it's here. He had the amp on that tour though cuz that's the one where I got lost for
1: a minute coming back I think. Maybe so, but if it is it's maybe it's the top one up there on the top it left. It could maybe be the top one. There's a back picture of this we might be
3: able to tell easier. It's got the little tear in it. Maybe the tear got bigger after that. Are we ever nerds? God, we're nerds. Absolutely.
1: So here's that wood one again, <laughs> a d- different uh, time period. Right. Um, That wood one again. Yeah, like I said, I worked on that one. It's a good sounding amps I think it's like a 69 or something. Hmm. And then what are these, like 72 JMPs? Those are, uh, yeah, later 70s JMPs, so 70s. 77, 78, somewhere in there. The big rocker switches. The big rocker switches. I've seen a bunch of those too. Um, I've never seen evidence of a mod. Other than a component here or there. You know, I've seen like impedance selectors changed to heavy duty ones that Jose used to do. Um, stuff like that. You know, heavy duty stuff, but I've never seen evidence of a mod. And and like I said, I've I've actually been in several of those.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: So um let
0: me go back. By the way, let's let's talk about this picture. Sure. So sure. this picture is yours, David Blacks.
2: That's mine, man. So tell us about this night. Wanna hear the story of this picture? Yes. It, it's great, man. I was probably 10th grade, 11th grade, 16, 17, Van Halen two had just come out. And my buddy was a usher, at Masonic temple in Detroit. So he got me down into the orchestra pit. That's like my little Kodak flat camera. There's no zoom or anything on that. It's just a little shitty film camera. But I, I was supposed to actually see him open for Sabbath the year before. And the day of the show, we found out my friend's mom had thrown our tickets out. <sighs> crushing <laughs> oh my god seriously crushing so i had to wait a whole year to get to this night and i hadn't been in a good band yet all my bands up to this point were shitty you know or like you know i mean the fought, you did know, play two shows they fall apart i didn't come from where a lot of musicians were and stuff so i was finally getting to see the guy you know, and it, it was so big because everybody loved him so much. And he'd already made his mark at this time. And he was, I talked with Dave, he was, he was single. He was young. You know what I mean? They were out tearing it up. These guys would come to town and they'd go onto the radio station. It was like the Howard Stern show with... A couple fifths of Jack and an eight ball. I mean, they took the place over for a couple hours. Midgets, strippers, the whole nine yards. Every time they put, and you would just listen to this shit on the radio all day. They'd go sound check, and then you'd go down to the show at night. But you got to see it. And it was early on. If you look at the picture, there's no Floyd. He had 12 cabs. Half of them had the vinyl off of them, half of them had the vinyl on them. Alex had his silver sparkle set double bass, couple SVTs real real you know you, it was their first headline in spot you know I pulled up the show on my phone the other day and their whole set was the first two records. That was it. that's the material they had you know there was there was nothing more that was it including the encore it was the whole bulk of their work till that point in time. And it was great. It was a life changer to actually see that in real life at that point in time, as it was happening. Like I said, in the context of everything else, this was fucking amazing. You know, I, I can't put into words what it was like to stand there and see it. It was incredible. And,
1: and, you, were like, and you were like, 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 like you said, like, like, like fourteen inches in front of his mic stand. stand.
2: Yeah, because it's like I got down there like just before they were supposed to go on. There was a couple other like photographers down there. So I walked up and his mic stand was like right there and they walked out and they started to light up the sky and he was like right there and it was like life changer, just a life changer, you know, because there was everything you would aspire aspired to be and you saw the guy executing it in the way that you thought it should be done, you know, and it was different because Sabbath and Zeppelin, Purple, all those bands, they're all English bands bringing the blues back to us. Van Halen was an American band. They were one of the first ones that had that 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 party thing, like you were saying. They they released the records in the spring. That would be the record, that, or the cassette that was in everybody's car in the summer. You know? It was just, it was a great time to be alive and a great time to be in music because it was before all the other stuff came along. You really had to want it. You really had to want to be there. You couldn't just press your phone or press a button if you wanted a van halen record you might drive to three or four record stores and not find one and that was your day you know and it was a different time it was a different time i'm such a geek i hear a little bit of echo
0: does anybody hear that um that's an awesome dude I'm trying to pick yeah, I'm such a geek. I'm trying to pick your figure. I don't out. mean to
2: reminisce so hard, it makes me feel old, but no, it, dude, that's what we're here for. So yeah. It just created it was such a strong impression. I've met guys older than me that saw Hendrix a couple times and they speak to me the same way. It made the same impression. I, I saw Hendrix at Isle of Wight, this guy told me, you know, and I'm like, that's fucking unbelievable. You know, yeah, yeah. this was that to me, you know, because I was just young enough to want it so fucking bad. And I saw the guy doing everything that I wanted to do. And about a year after that, I got my first good band. And then I started putting everything I'd seen into practice. You know, that's great. Awesome. Wait, um, maybe, there's a
1: little more to that
2: story, though. Oh, oh, the other part. Oh, so OK. So uh, my Bud's the Usher, they finished their set. And I, I had to think it's like, I don't even know if I'd, I'd always tried to get backstage. Everybody did. and You never did. But he grabbed me, and we're backstage, and I'm standing there just flipping out because you're in the middle of it all, and the show is just finished, and everybody's fired up. And my buddy goes, "He's going to be coming this way, right here. He's going to be coming this way." So we talk for a minute. Eddie comes around the corner, stage clothes on, hair still wet, and he starts to go by us to go up the stairs. And my buddy goes, "Dude, you're the greatest fucking guitar player I've ever heard." And he stops and he turns and he looks. And he smiles and he goes, "Dude, you should hear me play piano." And he cracks up and runs up the stairs. <laughs> and like, get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. There's no way. And it blew me away. That's awesome. blew me away. Awesome. <laughs> it blew me away. i remember that. I'm just looking at that, I'd forgot about all of this until we started talking over the last couple of days, and it just brought it all flooding back. I'm sorry to blab on about it, but it was. Oh, oh no,
1: it's great. It's
0: fantastic. It's
4: good.
0: Good stuff. I wonder what song he's playing here.
3: Mm-hmm. I me mean, now?
0: I wonder what song he's playing here. The second, that's the one, you know, it's, yeah,
4: that's.
3: Yeah, good away. question.
2: It looks like he's chopping, doing some, so it could, well, yeah, what could it be? thats the Night Away, man, the harmonic thing. Because it's oh, like wow. before MTV oh. and stuff, you could only hear, there was no picture to go with it. You mm-hmm. had to be standing there to see how he did it. Otherwise, you just had the sound. I couldn't pull up the video. All I yeah. had was the record, you know. So mm-hmm. once you see it, it's like, oh, that's how he fucking does it. And, and it was like, like right way You're right. You know what I mean? You know, yeah.
3: Dave. Do you remember? So you said they came. He came out playing uh, "Light Up the Sky." Did do you remember? Like, was he playing the the? Uh, like star guitar dragon guitar on that when he came out no that
2: was that was the one i remember him playing was that one pretty much all night he might have switched and it's a little foggy you know what i mean but i that was the guitar i remember him playing you know now, wanted, oh
3: sorry i just wanted to show you guys this i showed this on my show last week cuz i thought it it was really amazing but um cuz yeah, i live, I live out. out i live out in pasadena and uh about him oh God, half mile or mile from where I live. It's on Allen, if anybody's in L.A. and they want to check it out. Around the corner from the childhood Van Halen home is this going on right now. Uh, so there's you can't really see from the photo, but all the way up the street, there's chalk drawings because somebody's left chalk there. So there's giant Van Halen logos. And you can see right below the guitar neck is Van Halen written in the concrete, and Eddie did that around, evidently around 75 or 76, when the concrete was wet, you know, just a kid, like, hey, look, the concrete's wet. (laughs) Let's go scratch our name in the pavement, and it's still there.
2: That's great. So that's
3: on North Allen, that's around, it's about a block and a half from the childhood Van Halen home, where they grew up, you know, where Eddie sat on the bed and learned Mm -hmm. everything and painted the guitar in the garage and all that. And um, I was actually talking with Josh Freese yesterday and he said that his buddy actually lives in that house. he knows an in, it's an engineer guy that that uh that bought that house and so I figured out who because Dave and I were talking about that the other day, but this guy lives in that house anyway um all in front of the house is also people been leaving flowers out and stuff and just being, I'm sure, respectful of whoever's living there and whatnot. But um, right. it's really beautiful that this is going on. I, I saw some more pictures from out there, and there was a guy sitting there with a little practice amp playing some Van Halen tunes the other day. And people just been showing up out there and paying the respects. But like I said last Sunday on my show, that's American dream, man. You carve your name in the cement, and we're going to be something. <laughs> and then you work hard, oh, yeah. and you make it happen. You know, it's beautiful. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I love it
0: hey let's go through some super chats if you don't mind um just uh say hi to some folks Rico usa thanks for your super chat we really appreciate it uh it's going to go to a good cause eddie an amazing product of nature nurture family and legendary work ethic in your point of view which of these had the biggest impact on his guitar greatness and what made him special or was or was it was it something else hmm Product nature, nurture, family, and legendary work ethic. Well, definitely the work ethic. I mean, he put a
1: ton of time in to learn his craft, right? Yeah, I mean, from what I understand, that's all he did. Like, he just sat at home, played guitar. You know, he wasn't, he was kind of shy and didn't go out and didn't do shit. And he just stayed home, played guitar, you know?
3: combination, right? I mean, it's got to be a combination of the chemistry. And it's of parents
1: life. and parents musicians and and yeah. I don't know.
3: I mentioned Josh just a minute ago, Josh Freese. I mean, his brother Jason plays every instrument under the sun. Josh is one of the best rock drummers on the planet. Talk about two brothers that are you know what I mean? Yeah, Jason definitely, and, Josh. Definitely. and their dad is a genius musician that was the head of all the like music as I understand it for Disneyland. So like all the bands at Disney, that mm-hmm. Like he, he ran, the, like he was the head head of music for Disneyland. That's what he did. So I, he, I knew Josh when he was like fifteen, playing at Disneyland. Yeah, he oh, well. mentioned you actually. I brought you. He we we talked about you. he he'd yeah. say hi and stuff. And I said that you always speak of him fondly. But yeah, that that musical family thing, where dad yeah. is a, you know, that's that's yeah. what you're
0: aliens, like the
3: you know. family, right? Who's that, right? The, the
0: Picaro family, the Picaro family. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
3: sure. Same thing. Exactly. Just growing up, like gets in your blood from the time you're like in the womb, I guess. You know?
1: Yeah, I don't think anyone can, you know, if, if, if someone's really good at something, I mean, really good, uh, I, that's just like in them. You know, I don't believe you can't teach it. Yes, you could teach someone to play guitar. Yes, you could teach them to be a decent player, maybe even a good player. Yeah, but the magic—that's just something in them, you know. That's it, you know. I'm sure everyone's had a moment when they met someone, and the minute you meet them, you're just like this—this this person, whether it's an actor or mm-hmm. anything, this person is this person's a star. You just the know, X-Factor. you know right away the yeah. X factor. You X-Factor. know right away, man.
0: By the way, speaking of someone who's a star, uh, Sammy Bowler. Uh, hey, Sammy! Yeah, like that
1: motherfucker right there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Sammy. Thanks for the uh, the super chat. We really appreciate it. It's gonna go to a good cause. Um. Yeah. Let's talk about talent. Um. Pentatonic pran- pentatonic prancer. Love right. that name. Yeah. Hey guys, <laughs> thanks for doing this. I was 13 when VH1 came out. Yeah, about the same age. Uh. Oh no, you're a little older than I am. So okay. That's... F- album floored all my senses for me. I'm swing. I'm the one that has it all. Tone, aggression, swing, virtuosity, and godlike control. You can't hide behind that song. Yeah, I'm the one
2: because he was the one, right? I'm uh, the one swing, is. man. That's the key word right there, man. Swing. The, the, yeah. Oh, that absolutely. doesn't give it feel. It made it accessible to people. You know, it's like every song people could buy into just because of the way that it felt, you know? That kind of goes back to what Pete was saying about watching one band playing against the other they had all the talent so as you're bumping heads like that you get a vision of what you want it to look like and that vision comes into focus you know then you have david lee roth develop as a front man with the great guitar talent the brother on drums the perfect capper as a bass player and you just keep focusing on your songs and what you want it to look like and what you wanted to do and they achieved it in a way that no one else did up to that point yeah
3: yeah, maybe even since you know, yeah. I, I don't think yeah. really, in that yeah. style. I don't think they just stood alone. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of bands. You know, after the, the the whole David Crosby thing came out and stuff, I was thinking about all the bands that were influenced. Uh, like, man, whole like, generation. Yeah, like, dude, you missed this whole generation that happened. But I was also thinking that nobody achieved what they achieved. There were some great bands and stuff like that. There was. But Mm -hmm. all the – I mean, everybody with a Floyd Rose and a Strat, you know, crazy guitar with a graphic finish on it. And we've got, you know, uh, Dawkin and Rat and Poison and Warrant and White Lion and Trickster and Striper and, you know, like – I mean, it was like 4 million bands that came out. And a lot of really fun music stuff, but I mean, Van Halen just—I don't know, man. Well, you know,
1: there's very few bands that stuck around. You know, uh, you know, they had so a lot of bands had their time and 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 sort of died off. Um, there's a few exceptions, yeah. Um, to that that thing, for some reason, Motley Crue stuck around. You know, and and and. Yeah. They, st- they, you know, with tours and huge tours and and, and not, you know. not Accessibility of so, really,
2: socks, same formula. They never
1: really uh, went too down the drain, you know. I mean, there was some times during the, you know, first I mean, bon-, bon Jovi too, man. They- bon Jovi also, massive, still massive. Um Went into the nineties and stayed yeah. even
3: if even if maybe in the States, maybe the popularity declined internationally, they were huge for so long. Yeah. And, and,
1: and you know, so so you know, Van Halen could still fill arenas. Bon Jovi obviously fills huge arenas. Def Leppard. Um Def Leppard is they still do. around, yes, and they still fill good arenas. They had a little more downtime there and a little bit, but then it kind of came back up.
0: Yeah. Um I never thought Def Leppard is like a Van Halen kind of thing. They they were more AC
1: ish to me than well, originally, but later they kind of became something different. Yeah. Yeah. Early on, like uh, On Through the Night and yeah. High and Dry. Yeah, totally.
2: I saw you do On Through the Night. I saw, uh-huh. I saw them, the Scorpions, and Priest on the same bill when they were touring that record. Yeah. Wow. What a, what a, what a wreck. What a. Well, that was a million years ago, dude. That was like a million. That was way before like eighteen Marshall stacks on stage for Priest. They were a cool band back then. Simon Phillips was playing drums. It was great. You know? Simon Phillips, yeah. who for, for, for which band? Simon Phillips from Jeff Beck's band. You know Simon Phillips, progressive yeah. drummer, playing bass really? or drums and Judas Priest. Really? Yeah, it was great. They had like three Marshall stacks aside, a couple acoustic three sixties. Yeah, it was great. Simon Those Phillips. No, that Pete's gonna look it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought the, the drummer was Dave uh No, this was uh, it was Les Binks and Simon Phillips. So used to trade off back in the day. That was before Dave Holland. They went they they kind of went commercial when they got Dave Holland. This was before this is before the live record on right these Wow. Teach me yeah. things, David Black. Teach me <laughs> things. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. Yeah. Huh? I don't know. It was great music, you know. Great
5: music. Uh, You know what's a cool game is if you go back through albums from around 1986 to 1991, and you could go through and go, oh, that's a ripoff of a Van Halen song. That's a ripoff of a Van Halen song. That's a ripoff. The riffs, it just, they were all, the, the whole template was defined by like those first four or five albums. Yeah. Everything that happened in that, to your point, Pete, uh, everything that happened afterwards. It's Like, there'll be some other stuff that maybe a kiss kind of power ballad or something, but there's like at least three or four Van Halen songs on every one of those albums,
3: yeah. And the, the thing that was hard to achieve, I think, was that combination. Like, Eddie, you know, you listen to like the uh, a song like uh, okay, uh, what's the song I'm thinking of? The last song in on 1984 is House Pain. How it goes through all the different feels towards the end of the song, you know, it shifts through like four different feels,
4: mm-hmm.
3: right? Tempo changes and the whole nine yards, and the key changes, and everything. i mean, the solo in the song is gorgeous, or or a song like uh, "Hang 'Em High." I mean, what's going on with the bridge in that? It's really sophisticated, you know. That's Think awesome. of the bridge in "Hang 'Em High."
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Nobody writes like that in that style. Like it was really sophisticated writing and stuff, and it kind of goes. One of the things I've noticed about sophisticated songs that are really good, like. Art, like really well-crafted, sophisticated music is that it doesn't sound hard, hard or sophisticated. It just strikes you as mm-hmm. great. Oh, I love that song or whatever. And then you go back and you listen to it and you're like, wow, there's a lot of chord changes and movement going on and stuff, but it goes by with the melody and stuff and it just works, you know? So check out, you know, I mean, the the, uh, the B section of Unchained is like that. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And the, the, all the rhythmic stuff. Oh, the timing
0: that is just so weird. It took me forever to learn that on guitar. I was like, what the... F-? He
3: doing? But when you learn, when you when you when you sat down and learned it, you realized it. But before that, when you just listen, you're like, this rocks, this rules. You don't right, right perceive it as like musically super sophisticated or whatever, right? It's, yeah. a, it's an amazing thing. And so, and Van Halen did that, and then nobody captured that. Like nobody that any of the the bands afterwards that tried to, that were influenced were able to. You know, it, it's you know,
1: yeah, everyone that was after was sort of simplistic.
3: And yeah, like a bit emotional. like. A, lowest common denominator version yeah. or something of you know not not bagging because there's, there's plenty of bands that did great stuff after too but it's like uh i just think when you go back and you listen to it like nobody like i say like hang them high which was probably a throwaway i mean when i when we think about diver down they put out pretty woman and then they they basically the label's like we need an album because the single came out it was doing good and it's like we need more songs They're like we don't have songs that's why there's so many covers on the record that's why dancing dancing in the streets is on there and stuff because Where all the good times gone? exactly is, there, is, is uh, that a, a cover
0: or what's no? that where have all the good times gone that's a
3: cover, right? cover yeah so there was three covers on the album and the album's only like 34 minutes long or something like yeah, that like real like but yet it has little guitars and secrets and and it has hang em high and the like just that b section in Hang 'Em high that's so crazy it's, it's gorgeous the chord changes and stuff the way it moves yeah, through yeah. we just think of it as like party van halen anyway i just think nobody achieved that afterwards they weren't able to get what he and that's just the, the that's the brilliance of eddie van halen and, and then also david lee roth being able to distill it down to and
1: sing over it
3: and sing over it this melody yeah. and that, that's the b section in unchained being able to tie it together with a melody he listened to that somehow and went okay what if i sing this on top of that and it'll it'll tie it into a song oh. so great
0: I mean, there there was one song um, that comes to mind that I, I remember that I was like, how the hell did he come up with l- lyrics to uh, to this song? Which one was it? It was uh, uh, Sinner's Swing. It's mm. that's oh, that's that's awesome. it's like, the solo that on that song but is great. The melody to sing over that, because it's just such a weird, the, the whole riff is just, you know. <trustees> <that that that that
5: gentlemanala- yeah. Uh, yeah uh,
1: how how do you sing over that yeah
5: like you you can mute the vocal and they're perfectly acceptable instrumentals like complete yeah the chords move with like a melodicism Hmm. and that's why i think everyone plays eddie songs because they stand there on their own without a bass player without a singer it's it's a song by just kind of playing through the guitar part Uh i don't know how they put vocals on this stuff that's also quite an achievement
0: It is. It really was. Yeah. I mean, special because uh, to me, I think when Sammy came in, the music became a a bit more chord oriented,
1: a little more simple.
3: Yeah, not as riff oriented.
0: Yeah, yeah,
3: that's right. It sure did. It's yeah. Some you know, I also think they were getting further and further and further away from those club days where they had the. You know, they were playing everything from probably like, you know, like I say, Cool and the Gang and James Brown or something through to ZZ Top to, you know, so you had the, all the influence of that 70s rock and stuff. And then they were getting into the 80s, getting further and further and further away from those days. Sammy comes in, his influence comes in, and it's like they haven't they haven't been a cover band for a long time at that point, playing with all those other influences, getting into the music, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, because really, like, take a song like I'm the one, or like, you know, it's like hyped up ZZ Top or John Lee Hooker or something, right? Right, yeah, or, sure. And again, way, 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 way from that, and then we're in the 80s, it's like pop dominating the airwaves and stuff and all that. You yeah. Know, and and they sort of wrote songs like that. I think Ed was happy to do stuff like that for a
1: while. And, and, the, and, the, sol- and the solos in the Sammy era got a little bit lazier and a little simpler. You know, mm-hmm. not quite the fire that there once was, you know. On average. Uh, on the average. Day. There are a few exceptions in there, maybe. But,
5: um, you know, if you go and, and look at any of the influence that Ed says around the Sammy era, it tends to be like prog rock keyboard bands. It's like Genesis and mm-hmm. like old Genesis. and Peter like-
3: Gabriel. Oh. He really liked Peter Gabriel. That's right. Right.
5: Right. And they even talked about having Phil Collins being the singer after uh, Dave left.
1: Oh, that would have been weird.
5: That would have been <laughs> crazy.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would be really strange. Uh, We have another Super Chat, L. Scott Music. We've missed a lot of Super Chats. I promise I will mention them as soon as I can. L. Scott Music, thank you. Who here thinks they could have survived the MTV Lost Weekend with VH? Oh, man, I remember that. I'm actually friends on Facebook with the guy who won the MTV Lost Weekend. uh, (laughs) And his name is totally drawing a blank on his name now. Um, God. But anyway, really nice guy. Uh, Do you guys remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
5: What what was that?
0: The MTV, okay, so this is, yeah, this is before your time, Michael. Um, So in 84, uh, MTV had the Lost Weekend Contest where you sent in a postcard and uh, they, I think they they received like 2 million postcards. And uh, this guy won, he was picked out of it and you got to spend you first of all they traveled you on a private plane you and your buddy um out to whatever show and you spent the weekend with van, van halen and they filmed the whole thing uh this there's this there's video of this if you look it maybe up maybe not the whole thing no not the whole thing yeah yeah but <laughs> there's there's outtakes though i've got a video of the outtakes from it i think it might even be on youtube but uh it's very cool very very funny um let me see what else i'm missing here uh Okay, we got Christopher Butler. Been watching reaction videos of live without a net solo. What they always say is "Holy shit!" But also that smile—it's obvious he loves what he's doing. Thirteen-year-olds, hip-hop critics, guitars, teachers, joy. I'm not sure what that means.
5: Yep.
1: Yeah,
0: but yeah, I agree. He's always smiling.
5: Yeah. Right. Guys in the chats also have asked if Dave could recount when he uh, opened up Ed's amp.
1: Oh, yeah, we'll get get there. Oh, okay. We'll get there. We'll get there.
0: Uh, Plexico for Pete, Dave, et al., do you think EVH generated
1: his high gain sound by maxing out his EQ in early recordings? It's really quite simple. Uh, He just turned every knob on his amp on 10 with a Variac down at 90 volts with the tubes essentially sort of biased for that voltage. Not really, but kind of. And, um, and then, depending on the era, there might have been an e q involved, uh, boosting the front end a little bit, maybe. Yeah. That's it. It's pretty damn gainy when you his amp was pretty gainy. I mean, when you cranked it, it sounded like oh, great. sounded great. I mean, you know, you it's not like you you could, you know, maybe touch it slightly with an EQ for like Van Halen one. And you gotta also remember the pickups and guitars varied wildly on album to album and track to track, and and you know, different guitars were used for different things. And and you know, early records were a stock fender bridge, later records might have been a Floyd Rose, there was a Les Paul in there, a Flying V in there that depend on record, you know. Echo
3: Pucks will kick the front end a little too.
1: Yeah, I, I I look at that as more like color, kind of maybe. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, along with a bunch of non true bypass pedals too, or changing the loading effect the guitar had into the front of the amp, it's changing the tone a little bit. The um, EQs for sure, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. There's and there's cool then of them, right? So who knows, you know? And the <laughs> first record was JBL and Celestion, yeah. but he didn't like. The first re- record. He he didn't like the tone of the first record. He didn't. Dave and I had
3: a whole conversation. There's one of the EQs, right? Yeah. Dave and I had a whole conversation the other day about pickups. We have these we have these friendly debates sometimes because he knows that I'm convinced Van Halen won maybe 90 85%. I think it was that Mighty Might or Seymour Duncan rewound pickup that might have been 14k ceramic
2: magnet. mighty Mike, i've heard mighty mike for a while <laughs> that's a great word
1: <laughs> or maybe he changed
3: mighty mike,
2: picked- mighty
0: mike who the hell knows
2: yeah but he did
0: have the pickup rewound right. he did say that in an interview
3: yeah i showed dave the other day this the picture of in the guitar player magazine 79 or something it's like seymour because Dun- seymour duncan used to be just a rewinder he was like not you know before he was like producing he was just like a like a modern rewinder guy and there's this ad that came out in like 79. It's the first ad when he was selling pickups and he had the JB because he'd rewound pickups for Jeff, I guess, and stuff. And he had, you know, if a few different pickups and one of them says Duncan custom and in parentheses says Van Halen and everybody, you know, Ed says, Oh, see more and rewound my pickup or stuff like that. And it says Duncan custom Van Halen. Well, what's a spec of a Duncan custom? It's a 14 point. It's a super distortion clone.
1: Right. That's like
3: thirteen K and it's a ceramic magnet. Yeah. Yeah. Thirteen K ceramic magnet. So what and then and then quickly they had a falling out over that, I guess, Ed and 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 Seymour for a minute because of the ad with his name with the name in there, you know. And then so my theory, and I don't I can't prove it, but I'm just going by the tone of the album, Van Halen one, I think, could have very well been a ceramic magnet hotter pickup. And then by Van Halen two, it was PAF probably analogo two PAF mm-hmm. different sound completely, right? It's way cleaner and stuff. And so well kind con- JBL- yeah,
1: sort of it 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 is cleaner, but it's still pretty distorted. Yeah. Um different. I mean for me we've had this discussion before too. For for me Van Halen 2 is the perfect sounding Van Halen record. I think the the bass is great. I think the drums sound great on that record. The guitars mm-hmm. are just you know, unbelievable, sounding. Sounds like the amp's going to explode. You know, just like, just, just, just the and just the right amount of reverb, not too much. You know, just yeah, just really, really, really good. I mean, of course, there's other records that are great too. Fair warning is great, but it's a smaller tone and it's a little more distorted sounding and it's kind of smaller and there's not the same bigness to it. Uh, but amazing playing. And then you have Women and Children first. Well, that's really reverb, <laughs> but killer, killer stuff on it. Kind of close to the first album tone, but not as good, that album. No, not, not as well. I don't know if it's close. I actually it might be closer to Van Halen too, but more reverb. Yeah. More reverb. The and sound of that
3: album, when I go back, round and to that album, out, it sounds kind of rushed to me. Like it's a yeah. great record and everything, but it sounds more like we just got off the road. We're a little tired. Label wants a record. Okay, let's go in.
1: A few yeah, minutes. but everyone wants some when the all well, the little screeches and noises and then when the, when the first chords come in it's great just yeah. like unbelievable sounding yeah you know so i mean and then you know even down to you know i think i think maybe the worst sounding record was maybe uh diver down to me um i that seemed rushed um that
0: was a rushed album yeah. and uh, hard in it
1: and i love I love '84, though '84 was a great record. But his tone was way cleaner, and he was playing a lot more like Alan Holdsworth. Mm-hmm. Great record, um, so good. But but there's some great tone in there, like it's it's like just chewy kind of sounding, you know. So okay.
3: it is great. It sounds I great know. that I, I don't know. It's timeless sounding with the Simmons. If I have to
1: pick one of the amp recording, I like Van Halen two first. Hmm.
3: See for me, it's
0: '84. I think
1: that's your favorite.
0: Yeah. Guitar. Yeah. Tone? Great. Yeah. I mean, house of Pain. Really? Yeah. Just, I, I really like the Panama. I like a lot, some really great tones. On that. Oh yeah. It's great. I don't what know. What you what you mean? Mean, I, I go that between that and fair warning. I mean, I really love fair warning too. Mm. So. Drop dead
5: legs on 1984. Yeah, amazing. All of the amazing tones on 1984. I found out later it was all the, um, the flying V. Yeah. Yeah, what, none of it was the the Frankenstrat.
3: I don't even know if he was playing the Frankenstrat by then or if he was doing the Kramer thing and stuff. Because, oh. you know, I mean, maybe, I don't know. It's like he definitely on tour was to the Kramers and stuff. So yeah. it, everything could have changed. But um, I love the sounds and the playing on the record. I mean, it's kind of like, and then you see it in 5150, actually, like in that uh, Live Without a Net. His playing is insane on that. It's like mm-hmm. his style had fully, finally, like, you know, because he went through a lot of different, Phases and stuff, and then uh, that three or four years in there, his style—it's like he could just—it's like he wasn't even thinking about anything, and he was just playing, and it was just Eddie Van Halen coming out like fully realized Eddie Van Halen, <laughs> no, you know, like flawless, like seamless. Just
1: yeah, you know, but for like, me, you know, like uh, like I said, Van Halen too, out of love again. Oh yeah, come on. It's just like That's amazing. that dude, 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 you know, just the tone of it is like the, the speakers are going to pop out of the cabinet. Yeah. That's what it sounds like to me. You know, it's just like, just crazy. And then oh, just the tones of the, hmm.
3: it is sounds insane good. sounding. It sounds so good. And so yeah. raw and so far away from like perfection and fixed tracks and click tracks. And Oh stuff. yeah. 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 yeah.
1: It's, it's when you, when you listen to that record it's really raw and just sounds like he's on fire yeah i think i think that the, the aggression of the playing was really there too you know like yeah and the groove and the feel and the songs and i don't know you know it of be kind of a pretty happy time i remember being in florida once with my best friend marty and uh at, down at my grandmother's house and i remember we went into some little food restaurant that had a pool table or something we were playing pool and there was a jukebox and we were i remember playing van halen 2 there and just, so like over and over again <laughs> so that's it cool. just has a fun memory for me that's awesome
0: uh, pentatonic prancer my friend scott always says Ed's rhythm playing was like little little like mini little leads kind
3: of yes. like hendrix yeah, yeah. like yeah. lead guitar rhythm guitar it's like all
0: flowing yeah. one right yeah yeah um, let me see if there's any other super chats. So I'm going to mention some of the ones that uh, BB has sent me. Uh, we've got one from Holly Henderson. Holly, hey so Holly, she didn't give a question but just sent in a super chat. Thank you. That'll go to a great cause. What's up, Holly, Jason What's up? Tong, uh, guys, can you discuss Eddie's wet, dry, wet setup? Even Tide's SDE three thousand settings. Did he did he have dry
1: in the wet cabs? Uh Yes. So, um, essentially it was, well, it depends on the era, you know, like in in the era that rigs that I built, the eventide went bye bye. Um, but, uh, the eventide was on a micro pitch shift, like everyone used at the time. And it's like, uh, something like plus nine, negative nine, you know, shifted, uh, and, um, in, the, in that kind of rig, it was mixed in with a mixer, so it was blended in. Um, but uh, just two discrete delays, left and right, set you know at half the, the delay time. So, so if you had, uh, say, 300 and 600 milliseconds, you'd get like a ping pong between the cabs. Uh, generally, the shorter one, you have to set the repeats up a little higher so it kind of actually ping-pongs evenly. Otherwise, it sounds like it's trailing to one side. That's good, too, though. Uh, It just depends on how you want it to sound. Um, So
3: would he he do that, like try and balance the delay so they delayed evenly?
1: It was a ping-pong, yeah. It was a ping-pong from side to side, yeah. Okay. So it it did evenly. Generally speaking, Mm -hmm. when you do that, um, the shorter delay, you have to add more repeats to. Right because it doesn't, it won't sound even. It'll sound like it trails to the right or left yep. or whichever way yeah, that I'll longer goes on. Right, right, right. So but both need- are actually cool. Just depends on what you want to hear.
3: That's really interesting, though.
1: Um, there, yes. Uh, so, you know, it's essentially a line-out that feeds, you know, there's a dry cabinet, and the line-out feeds the effects. And the effects, all the effects, well, again, we're di- different rigs, different times. But like, for instance, like a PCM 70 fed the, so one input, two outputs, feeding two delays to an H&H power amp. But all those pieces are analog dry path. So there's no phase, there's no weirdness, there's no nothing in the rigs that I did. And the, the wet cabinets had dry in it. They weren't all wet at all. So if you turn all the effects off, you have three equal volume cabinets if you stood right in front of the cabinets and walked from left to right, there were equal volume. Mm-hmm. So hope that answered it. Yeah. So just a couple
0: suggestions. If you guys want to build your own wet, dry, wet rig, there's a few ways you can do it. Um, I know some people can get, if you want to keep it small, you don't have to have three by 12s right? So you can do three by 12s if you wanted to do it that way, right, with an, a separate power amp.
1: Or a 4x12 and two 112s.
0: Right, or a 4x12 with two 112s. Or I was going to suggest what Pete, you just had on your video, Pete, where that, uh, I forget who makes that extension cab or you can do uh what, try wet, dry,
3: wet. Yeah, that. the Comet cab. Um, the only thing about it is that the speakers in it are quite different. So it's got, you could do it with it, but it's got, very, it's got small uh, Neo drivers in it for the wet. Um, which are going to sound quite different than, say, a, a Greenback. You know, you, so you wouldn't
1: want dry in that.
3: Yeah, sound, they sound kind of odd if you mix dry in them. So they work really well for the wet-dry, but having 100% wet in the cab. So for, I think if you do the Eddie Van Halen style rig, it's good to have kind of the – because you got all that dry in those cabinets, and so it's important to have the core. Uh, but
1: depending like, on what effects you guys are using, you have to know some things. It has to have an analog dry path. Right. Otherwise – the rig's is going to sound like crap because you're going to have dry that is out of phase with the center dry, or slightly out of phase, or slightly shifted uh, in the wet caps.
3: And your big sound. There good or good you bad need bad. a mixer
1: <laughs> in order to pass the dry through unaffected. Mm. So it depends. You guys can always email me, right? Yeah. I'd be happy to help you.
3: Somebody was mentioning that. Oh, we were talking about the eighty four guitars, and I just remembered. Uh, Top Jimmy was the. The Ripley guitar. Yeah. With the uh, pan I pots. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah. Which
3: is cool. Ah, it's so cool, man. Where the, You listen to it on headphones and everything's jumping around because each string was panned to a different side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cool. Ripley, it had a Bartolini pickup in it with pan pots for every single string. And
1: yeah, it was crazy.
3: Pretty neat. Yeah. I actually saw that guitar once. And I was like, ah! I was freaking out. It's like, it's the top Jimmy guitar. It's a, it's the natural finish telly, right? Yeah. Looks like a T or a tally. I've
1: seen it before, yeah. That's so cool. I was
3: like, like a kid and, you know, going to Christmas seeing that thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, a few different guitars made appearance on that. It's so funny. He played a bunch of different guitars. I mean, the little guitar (laughs) is guitar. You know, all these great, and it sounded great in its own. Sure. We forget. sometimes.
1: Yeah.
5: Dave, do you know what Ed was using the Palmer speaker simulator for? Was that just...
1: Nothing. The line-out. Oh, really? Yeah. It literally was a big line-out box. He wasn't using it for a load. He wasn't using it for anything but the line-out.
5: Because there was no line-out on the head?
1: Yeah. It it literally was just a big line-out box. Mm.
5: Unfiltered. (laughs) So many of those units... Yeah, (laughs) nothing. Just having it in his rack.
1: No, No, those those units did sound cool. I mean, they were they were actually their load sounded pretty cool. The the direct thing on them sounded pretty cool, especially for the time. Um, especially the old ones, the original ones, they sounded better than the later ones. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's just a line out. (laughs) I later eliminated that.
5: I bought two. I bought a newer one and I bought a an older one. I'm like. This says nothing in common with Van Halen. No, <laughs> no. really quickly. Not at
0: all. Yeah, but now you have to use the line out out of it just to be exactly
3: like Ed. <laughs> <laughs> I
5: have to get it again.
3: Dave, right. do you remember? Uh, do you remember any discussions about not using the uh, the harmonizer on the rigs you were building? Yeah, like he um, moving away from that again.
1: He wanted to keep it simple and didn't want a mixer and he didn't want all this stuff and so we there was a discussion about that and and he he yeah he just lost the harmonizer he was like "Ah, i want to go back simpler Mm. yeah less processed
0: yeah Yeah. Mm
4: -hmm.
0: well that's i personally like it
1: when it wasn't as processed myself
3: but you but you like the 1984 tone, which does have some, right? Yeah, it has a harmonizer. Oh,
1: it like... Harmonizer first appeared in on Fair Warning, didn't it? Maybe, yeah. yeah. It was on Fair Warning for sure. Not really, it really? Yeah. A little bit like crept in. Crept in. It was a Don Landy thing and it crept in.
0: Really? By the way, we have uh we had almost 800 people. We got 757 people watching. Wow. That's awesome. Uh mm-hmm guys please press the subscribe and click the bell make sure you guys can get our if you want
1: to donate it's for a good good really good cause yes
0: and uh, (laughs) if you guys want to do that that'd be great Uh, well all donations as i mentioned uh super chats will go to the two charities mr holland's opus foundation and uh children's hospital i will tally up all the super chats and uh and then make that donation afterward Um, one other thing I wanted to mention, if you guys wanted to do a wet, dry, wet rig, something I got from, uh, third power amplification, uh, they have a four by 12 that is wired where you can actually do a wet, dry, wet. So the bottom two speakers could be your dry and the top two speakers could be your wet. And, um, yeah. All in one four by 12. It's a very, very cool thing. Check email third power if you want to check it out. I got one, I thought it was very cool.
1: But if you want to do it really right, you got to have three four 12s. <laughs> <laughs> three four 12s, baby. <laughs> three
0: four 12s. They're not matching, but you know, that's the way to do it.
1: Yeah. My wife doesn't like me,
0: but that's okay. My family, when they're not around, I throw it on Uh, (laughs) let me go let me mention a few super chats and then i'd like to uh go back to some pictures and dissect a few more things yeah sure absolutely You guys all good for time yeah okay uh we got a big 100 from chad no question chad spittle thank you so much chad
1: i know chad
0: thank you chad uh scott urbis uh, sent us a super chat. Love the show, guys. Does anyone know when Ed stopped using his original Marshall on recordings? Did he use it on the last VH record? Uh, what is that? Um,
1: it um, different kind of truth. It uh, let's see when he stopped using it. Um, so that would be the the fuck record was he didn't use it on the fuck record. Um. He did on 5150 and OU812. It appeared again partially on balance, but I think it was mixed with the amps at the time. And later it did appear a little bit on the, the last record. Um although how much and what track and how much was it mixed in? It was it was mixed in with the uh the fender amp. So We can find Um, out. We'd have to ask Ross. Yeah, I know some of it was re-recorded by Ross, and maybe none of it was used, but then there were some songs that might have been some of it used. So originally it was recorded the whole time. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Well, maybe some of these guys will start talking now, like uh, John Shanks and...
3: um, Who are you talking about? I, I believe they did a bunch of the record, and then they went up to... Mix at 50. I mean, short story. They went back up to mix at fifty-one fifty. Ross Hogarth mixed, and they ended up doing some of the guitars again. And and, oh. uh, and Ross would know as far as.
1: Yeah, I, I don't. I don't believe Marshall appeared when Ross recut the guitars. No, I don't think so. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, um,
0: we have another super chat from Death by Stringulation. <laughs> Thank you. He spent fifty dollars. Really appreciate that. Love the show, keep it up, guys. I fired up the 1971 super lead and the variant, the phase 90 this weekend, and did my best tribute 0.001 percent of EVH. But I think he would have liked the effort.
4: Like, <laughs>
0: bravo, <laughs> bravo, exactly. Thank you, bro. Uh, Lauren said his super chat was missed. It was, um, is the USA Wolfgang which is $3,600, that much better than the special, which is $1,000. Would you say the Wolfgang is a unique tone for a studio collection?
1: I know. Uh, um, okay, so it depends on which, which special. So there was a brief time they were made at first in Japan. Mm. And, uh, and those are quite good. And not really any different than the the higher priced ones. Mm-hmm. Now I can't vouch for anything after that. So is your guitar a special, Dave? The one that mine's a special because I wanted the flat top. And is so it a, my uh, mine's like special, special because it's it's it was a Japan it started off as the Japan parts, hmm. but then it was put together by Chip Ellis and it was signed by Ed and then painted over there at the custom shop. So hmm. it's not exactly you know, yeah. that. But mine's great. It's a great guitar. Yeah, I had a I had a Japanese
0: special. I thought it was a great guitar. The only difference was
1: basically it didn't have an arch top. That was basically yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, same pickups, same yeah, same I mean, bridge. I think the same bridge. Pretty sure.
0: Look, I, I've had I have a USA. Yep, the USA. same USA that, that Pete has, which was right up there. You know, I can't, I can't point to
1: it. But. I think I wanted, I I had my choice, actually, and I think I wanted the flat top because I, I was always thinking I'd like the Ernie Ball guitars, <laughs> right. which were the flat tops, you know? I don't know. It was a telly thing kind of, you know, for me. That's kind of
3: why I love this finish because it was the, the first one I ever saw was this finish, Ernie Ball, you know, the Ernie Ball. Yeah, 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 sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that, that guitar is gorgeous. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. It's
1: a good oh, one. Yeah.
2: I love it.
5: Too how did the PVs it. hold up compared to the Ernie balls and the, the Fender EVH ones?
1: Wait, can you say that again? Your mic's kind of like all of a sudden low or something.
5: How did the how did the PV Wolfgang's hold up compared to the Ernie balls and the EVHS? They were good. What are you doing, um, they were good. I mean, I think kinda,
1: I kind of think the Fender ones and the and the Ernie ball ones are slightly better. With maybe the Ernie Ball ones being the best, to be honest, for me. Yeah. I think I like the neck and the Ernie Ball the best.
3: Something about them. They're really cool. This is a really, really well-made guitar, though. I mean, the finish on yeah. this guitar is, like, flawless.
5: Yeah. It's a cool shape, and it's kind of unique. It's hard to get a unique shape that also looks super cool.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's the funny thing. When, that first, when, they, when he first came out with Ernie Ball... I remember when that first came out everyone's like what the hell is that that's ugly you know like awful and you know the thing is it it takes years to sell the shape you know what i mean like if it's a new you. shape no one wants to see a new shape yep and you really just have to have to own it and go for it <laughs> and keep no. pounding at it because you know and then eventually people will warm up to it you know
5: yeah a couple of cool music videos and i was sold. You know
1: and uh <laughs> the only the, the only thing I preferred on the PV versus the fender one was I preferred the, the headstock in the PV because it didn't have the bottle opener on the top.
3: Oh yeah. <laughs> didn't it have like a thing in there? Like a yeah,
1: yeah. there's a piece of wood in there that was kind of carved out and stuff. So it looked a little bit the bottle opener was a little weird for me, but you know, it's okay. It's growing on me. Yeah, I mean I, I don't really care anymore. <laughs> yeah. Just at first, I was like, eh. I
0: think also the, uh, wasn't the... Uh, it's a weapon, uh, is what it is. No, yeah, I, on me. Stab someone with it. The Ernie Ball, wasn't it a four and two instead of three and three?
1: Correct. Mm, yeah. yeah. Correct. Right. It's, yeah, it's different. And they have a patent on that. Oh, well, do they really? Yeah, no one can make a four and two headstock. Really? Really? Yeah. hmm Interesting. Yeah. Some Long of the time. time ago. No, I don't know if anybody. Maybe the it. patent expired now. I'm not sure, but
3: <laughs> it's kind of you gotta get used to it. And you're like, oh shit, yeah, the, the, those little things on guitars that like make them, like when you got a reverse headstock, you're like, oh yeah, it's down. Right, <laughs> you know, It's a pain in the ass when you're trying to just tune quick at a gig or something. But this guitar's got those little frets on it. That's the only thing. I think maybe someday I get it refretted because they're really small. Yeah,
1: well, yeah, they're but good. that was the thing. You know, like I discussed this before. So. um, um Hope he's back. Oh, you uh,
2: see can you guys hear me? Yep, yeah, we, yeah, we can hear you now. Sorry,
1: uh, that's the thing. Um, th- this dawned on me once with those little frets, right? So at E flat, oh, t- tuned right? with nines, you know, tuned to E flat. If you have, you know, huge frets, it's gonna happen, you know. Right. Say, say again. D well, I said oh. so. The whole concept. So you have e, You know the guitar is at E flat. You have um um small frets. You're right. And you know it's nine gauge strings. Right. Right. So you put really large frets on it, and you press too hard. You know what's going to happen. Sure. It's going to just. It makes sense. It's all scaled, kind of. There's a reason he has the small frets. Yeah, but it's I mean, he played an eight on the side. It's, it's all sort of, of scaled. It's, it's like, yeah. yeah, true. He did. In E flat. Mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> so,
0: you know. um, All right, let's go to some, some more pictures. Um, if that works for you guys.
5: I'm going to throw this question out real quick. Do you know what Ed's patents are? I heard he has like three patents. Do you know what they are?
1: The stripes.
5: Oh, okay.
3: The flip up table mm-hmm. from the
1: 1984.
5: The table, yeah. Okay. And and Isn't it
1: the drop to yeah. hell bridge, I think, too? Yeah, maybe. That
0: might be it. What if it's a patent on the D-Tuner? D-Tuner?
1: Past- that might be that too. Hmm.
0: The D tuna. I looked up the patent on that. I didn't see Ed on it. Oh. oh. But there might be, you know, I don't know. He wasn't on it, so. But uh, so this is the back of the amps from '79. Yeah. To the Japan tour.
1: So that top amp wasn't. That's a fifty. The top one. Oh um, yeah. There's quite a few. Fi- there's a few fifties in there. Isn't that interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, those are all. um well, you notice something else that's interesting in this picture too. Hmm. There's no 6A7s in any of the amps. Mm. So I don't know. It's what all I'm... it's all uh, it's all Telefunken really EL34s, which Ed told me was his favorite tube.
3: Oh. Mm. Interesting.
1: So very- it's all small bottle uh, EL34s on that tour. Um there's not a six C A seven in sight at this point in time. Uh there's no extra tube on any amp in here. Right,
3: right. Three tube amps.
1: There is no extra knobs on any of these amps. Uh and uh on the front, on the picture of one of them on the front, there's an EQ tape to the front of one that's just going right into the um, MXR six band EQ that's going right into one amp. Right, right. I don't think I have that picture. Uh, yeah, no, no. Um, and seemingly, although we're not really sure, there's an MXR EQ right there. Uh, although I was told that that was used for the solo,
3: Mm. that's cool. I mean, even I was told
1: by Rudy Laren that that was used for the solo and that, uh, and the, um, Univox Echo was only patched into the chain for the solo, it was taken out of the chain for the rest of the set.
2: Hmm. Anybody ever that? have one of those things? The little Univox one? I've never had one of those things. Yeah, oh man, they were terrible, dude. That yeah, was a piece of crap, dude. <laughs> Which is probably why you don't want it in your
1: chain. Yeah, he modified it, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. No, I mean, no, it's, it's terrible, yeah. You know, terrible,
3: he modified it so it could go slow enough.
1: Because what you're seeing, what you're seeing in that picture is you're seeing, uh, you know, a guitar cable going into the flanger, into the phaser, and out. And then this other switch is doing something. Not sure what this thing, right? Yeah, that I think it's switching good. over to a different set. From what I was told, it was a different set of amps for for the uh, eruption. solo, you know, for well, a hey, well, this is labeled one, and this is labeled yeah. two. Yeah, wonder the other box is even patched in, isn't it? Maybe.
3: It's hard to see. If you watch the Fresno show that's so good, he changes right after the solo from the, you know, he puts on the the Destroyer for You Really Got Me. Mm-hmm. You know? And so he plays a solo through the Univox and then switches rigs, basically, yeah. immediately, you know, as the last note's dying out. Yeah, It's funny. He's got the uh, the cord right here out of Pull the door
1: because... So he only like he he liked batteries in his phase nineties. That's another thing.
3: Really? Yeah. Always.
1: Um. Back in your rigs? Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Really? Huh? Really? Yeah. Wow! Wow! And wonder. you know what? He proved it to me once. <laughs> it does sound different. Really? Yeah. And better.
0: Hmm. With a battery as opposed to the? Huh? That's yeah. interesting. That is interesting. That's weird.
1: So here's here's the EQs. What's that? EQ. Yeah, boss. Boss G ten EQs. Um, who knows how this is hooked up exactly? Uh, I was under the impression it was to make up for the signal loss that he was getting from his pedal board, which is the opposite of what he probably should have been doing. <clears throat> um. It's just like a buffer right well yeah but it's not at the beginning of the chain hey I'll be right back sorry
0: <laughs> okay
3: I guess an echoplex has a relatively high output impedance as I understand it so like when I got my clinch pedal uh, that I still love and use the the fellow over there he described to me that the, the original clinch it's, it's EP pre so it's like an echoplex it's like a preamp from an Echoplex. Mm-hmm. It sounds amazing. and When you put it in line, it really does go a long way. It's like, whoa, that does sound more like Van Halen if I just use this preamp. It bear- it adds, it at maximum, it's like 6 dB of gain. In the mm-hmm. middle, it's like 3 dB or something. It's just a little bit. It more changes the tone. It does something to the phase or something. Um, but it, it l- lends this beautiful fat thing to the tone that's just re- like a broad thing. Anyways, uh, the original one that the clinch guy made, he made it exactly like the Echoplex, and the output impedance was kind of high. So he said, if you're going to use this, you kind of, it's better if you have it close to your amp, like not run a long cable after it because mm. you can get loss. And I okay. found that really interesting. Cause Ed used to run the ecoplexes and then the GE 10, I think right at the end of the chain. And that could be like, maybe he was getting a lot of loss after an Echoplex. Um, the clinch guy then later put out another EP because he was having pe- people sort of complain about it or something, I think, where maybe he just like, was like, well, this will drive long cable lengths better. And he changed that output impedance to be a lower output impedance. So I'm just talking to Dave about the output impedance of an Echoplex. Like the clinch guy, when he made his preamp, he totally duplicated what an Echoplex does. Yeah. And it's kind of a high output impedance, really. Yeah. And so you try to drive a long cable from the front of the stage like he would, and it's, he probably got lost. And maybe that's well, why the, the GE-10, you know?
1: Well, yeah, but these echoplexes were literally right in front of the amps. So
3: right you wouldn't running a long cable?
1: Stage. Now, he used to, uh, like a long time ago, he used to set the amps up right to the side of the stage. You know, you see old pictures like that. Right. And um, there was even talk about him doing that later. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like he remembers that, you know. And huh. He used to set it to the side of the stage, and the echoplexes would be right on top of the amps or right in front of the amps. Hmm. And uh this EQ I'm pretty sure came from after the pedal board, which maybe the EQ was making up for the losses of the pedal board because if you really think about it, you had a um uh you know a flanger and a phase 90 non true bypass yeah. with a long cable going in and not that long a cable going to this because they were side stage. But, but still uh, it's probably
3: like 40 feet.
1: Like uh maybe depends them. on the stage, depends on the time. Even 30 would be like Yeah, I mean you're you're loading down the guitar massively, so you need might need to boost it back up, you know, and EQ it. Really, it would actually make more sense to have the EQ at the pedal board and drive it either into it or after it. But but those G10s sound really good.
0: Really, yeah, really I- good. I've heard really good things about that pedal. Yeah, I
1: mean, the one out. you showed is mine, isn't it, Pete? Yeah.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice. Now, he also yeah. has a different curve on,
1: on these. Yeah, you Copy the, the curve right now. <laughs> Honestly, I think the curve just has to do with like what he was hearing at the time. I think he changed it. Probably. You know? I got you. Yeah. Um, knowing him, he changed everything all the
0: time. So, all right, we got, we went through these, we went through
1: that. Uh, okay. Now, what rig is this, Dave? So, this was the latter, the later updated rig that I did that was used to the end of his, um, career. So, um, essentially, you have uh, the front box is, is a loop box. So, you had, um, Four pedal loops and then two channel switching loops that would um, do the PCM seventy on and off and do the SDE three thousands on and off. Then you had the EVH footswitch and uh, the wah was real time. The uh, the so we had the chorus and the um, octave, the flange and phaser. Uh, they were in loops. True bypass loops. I made this switcher custom for him. He had the metal work done by someone I don't know who, and I did the the switching in it.
0: Oh, so he had the box actually yeah. made from somebody. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe Fender did it. Ah, uh,
1: Fender did it for him. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the uh, the the big black box on the left here. Well, the far left box is just AC in. Uh, just really converts ACN. There used to be like another little transformer in there. He used to have a whammy on the board at one point in time, but he took that off. And then in this patch box that I made for him to the right is um, there is a buffer in that and it goes to a little black box that's in front of the channel switching box and there's a balancing transformer. So again, a balanced line back to the rack. So, there'd be no noise pickup at all. Um, Guitar would either guitar or wireless would plug into this black box on the far right. Um, Either or, there was an input for um, a cable. And then uh, also, wireless would come down the snake and go into this box. Are you talking about this box right here? Yeah. And that's a mute switch, essentially. So, he could just mute everything. And what is this over here? Is this a tuner? Uh, that's a chorus pedal of some sort. Okay. He used several different kinds of chorus pedals. There was a Boss one for a while. And then later it was um, one of the MXR ones, the little analog chorus. Right. So he changed that out a little bit. Basically, that was for like Pretty Woman and
4: little guitars, ones, maybe. maybe. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then he's got his octave. What did he use the octave for?
3: Um. Is it one on the solo in uh, Unchained?
1: There's one on a, a song on 84. There's an octave, um, Drop Dead Legs or whatever, oh. at the end.
0: But he's not uh, like using that for the D
1: He used it a few times. He, he always had an octave. There's a couple other rigs. There might have been an early pedalboard version of what we showed before that had a PV octave on it too, like this multi effects with an octave.
3: Hmm.
1: um Let's See what other pictures I have. Now, this didn't
3: the, he have one of those pink ones, Dave? That that PV pedal? Or no, no, that was a. You're
1: thinking of the board that's in the other room. <laughs> but didn't he? But didn't he have one of those? Did he ever use one no, of those pedals? No, no, he had a. uh, uh There was a PV multi effects pedal for a while, and there was an octave in that that he used. Okay, something. I have one somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, so this was the rig that that pedal board went with, and that was the rig that continued to be used, uh, other than maybe amp swapping out. I think he, you know, had the EL thirty four version later, the last tour, mm. uh, or stealth versions of the amps. Mm. And, Dave,
3: did you uh, go to? Th- did you go to the last nights? Because I, d- I realized, no. like, I guess I was at the last Van Halen show, which is I didn't go Hollywood Bowl.
1: You know, the funny thing is. I did, to be honest, I didn't want to go at that point. Um, it was great, man. Well, Dave wasn't so great. But it no. was yeah. Dave, Dave wasn't so great on that tour. I mean, I think I think the honestly the best reunion tour was the first one with Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of the tour, when his voice had kind of um, seasoned, so to speak, you know. Uh, got, you know, warmed up, so to speak. Uh, uh, you know, that was good. I think that was maybe the best he sounded. Yeah,
3: Dave was f- interesting the night that I, that last night I'm talking about, because I saw him every, I saw him seven and 12 and then the the last tour.
1: Yeah, I saw the seven and 12. I just didn't see the last tour.
3: Sometimes he'd be like, I don't know. He'd sing a song, go, that was badass. Like every single, it was like, well, there it was. And then I remember particularly, like, I remember like, all weight, which has a great melody. Mm-hmm. And you just didn't sing the melody for some reason. Yeah. Other yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Really like, like... Dude, that's an amazing melody. Like, I just wanted him to sing the song.
2: <laughs> 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 just, just, just please just sing the song.
3: But I mean, yeah. whatever. You know, it was still, the other songs were fantastic. And uh,
2: that's
1: cool. Yeah. And me. then in this rack, you see uh, PCM 72 SDE 3000s. Then there's a backup PCM 70. And then there's a couple backup. Uh, at the bottom, a couple backup SD3000s. And what's what's over here? Uh, more H&H power amps. They powered cabs on Wolfgang's side of the stage. Hmm. And, and he did have a smart gate, but it wasn't a rack mount one anymore. It was a smart gate little pedal that was in the loop of the amps.
3: Oh, really? He used one of those little gray ones?
1: Yeah. Oh, Interesting. Uh, in the other rig, he had a rack mount one, but later it was just a pedal in the back. Okay. We're uh, good.
0: Now this is...
1: Uh, that's a 5150 tour, and that's nothing I did. That's Bob Bradshaw that did that. Hmm. And essentially, uh, at least what I know of it, um, and I've seen some of this stuff, um, essentially one amp at a time, these were all backups, so he'd choose which amp he was going to use. And uh, the top, not the very top of this rack, but you see there's, um, I'm pointing with my mouse like you guys can see that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's uh, something that has like three or four knobs on it right there, Mark, uh, down, uh, down in the rack. Right uh, here? Right there. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a load box. So that box had four, there's another knob on there you can't see, but it had four um, loads in it, four 16-ohm, 300-watt load resistors shoved in a box, and there were four line-out levels. <laughs> and there, there was a rotary switch to the right there near the custom audio sticker, and that switch switched between which amp was on. Hmm. So, um, and then there were some wireless units that were up here. I'm not sure which ones or what it was. And supposedly in a post I saw recently, there's a a compressor here, a Rocktron compressor that wasn't used ever. Uh, It was in the rack. Bob Bradshaw said, I'm not sure why I was there. Hmm. (laughs) He didn't use it. Uh, Although I remember those compressors, I think they had a hush in them. So maybe they were using it as some hushing, um, and then the rack again. There's two SD three thousands, a PCM seventy, and then two Eventides. But one Eventide was a backup, supposedly. Mm. And you can't really see the rest of it. There's a Bradshaw switcher down there. There's a mixer, rain rain mixer there. Um, mm. There's some diagrams of this rig somewhere floating around out there, and then right before the H and H power amp, which is in the bottom of this rack, is a um, one of those hush exciters that Rocktron that they had and um uh, also supposedly not used just so, in the rack so
0: <laughs> this is not one of these cases where he's got like every amp plugged into cabinets and killing everybody no
1: you can technically plug no you can no one amp into one amp at a time in other words there's four possible choices. You can plug four of these amps in to this switcher, and he can choose which amp he's going to use. But it's just one at a time. But it's it's one at a time. So like if he doesn't like the sound of one, one day or the other. So it, the amp is entirely loaded down with a load resistor, goes through the Bradshaw rack, goes to uh, uh, H&H power amp, powers a couple cabs. There's another picture with more H&H power amps and a Variax right there. That also went with this rig. Uh, Variax, obviously, for amps. And I've more seen power that. amps powering multiple cabinets all across the stage. So crazy. Man. So, Dave, tell
3: me this. Like, is this rig just stereo and not wet-dry-wet? Wet?
1: No, it's just stereo.
3: So, okay. So he went in, he literally loaded the head down and then went into the effects and came straight out
1: into... Yeah. Stereo uh, rig, like, every rig was at that time. Like no. Lou and everyone else's, you know? Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I didn't realize. Yeah, so it literally is as simple as an amp, a load resistor, a line out, feeding the effects, feeding an H&H. That was the tone. That's What's what you-, you hear on Live Without a Net. What is this thing right here? That's a patch panel. Oh, I see. I think that's the, I, I'm pretty sure that's just the inputs to the, uh, some sort of crude inputs to the H&Hs. That would make sense. Three and there's six XLRs on there, so that would make sense. Because mm. yeah. the inputs on these are XLRs. Well yeah. quarter
0: inch, but and are they are they around the back? Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: Yeah. I
1: I didn't see this picture till recently either. No, never seen that.
2: I've never seen it. Cool.
1: The first time he started using H and H's too was on the 1984
5: tour. Did uh that come through Bob Bradshaw or was that like from Lukather, or did Lukather pull on back? On the H&Hs? Yeah, who started
1: I No, I think the 84 thing was pre-Bob Bradshaw, I think. Um, and somehow they got on the H&Hs. I'm not sure how.
0: Hmm. All right.
1: Uh, let's see what else
0: we got. This is Wolfgang's rig.
1: Yep. So we basically have wirelesses, a wireless switcher, Uh, You have a um, RJM Amp Gizmo, which was a uh, channel switching box, essentially, on the right there. Uh, A drawer full of pedals. Uh, RJM Switcher down below. And then on the floor... uh, This was interesting, because his snake had to be um, 100 feet. Mm -hmm. So we had to do... All sorts of crap for this, so we had to do uh, like a special MIDI driver thing to make it work. Mm -hmm. We had to do, um, you know, balanced in ins and outs to this pedal board. It was was a long ass snake, Hmm. but uh, it worked.
3: Yeah, because you can only run MIDI like twenty five feet reliably. Right,
1: you can. Well, you can run MIDI fifty feet before Mm -hmm. it really shits the bed. Um, but beyond 50, it's a problem.
4: Hmm.
1: Uh, Why did he need a 100-feet cable? So wh- what we wound up doing is we, there's underneath this AB box there, there's this a, a, a special box the MIDI goes into, and then I think it was an XLR out or something, and it's designed to drive long runs, and then there's a receiver box on the other end. Just where it was positioned, it needed to go that far. That's
3: so weird because it almost looks like there's nothing on the pedal board but a wah, And so, like, you could almost just have a midi foot switch. I understand. You know,
1: <laughs> we had to run audio out and back for the wall.
3: You had to have audio out and back for the wall, but couldn't you use one of those crybaby rack like slash? You know,
1: we had to run audio out and back for this wall. <laughs> it's I'm, not I'm, like we're a wall here, right? It's one of the base was. It's one of the white, kind of synthesized was. Yeah. So, you know, the answer is yes. <laughs> uh, and that would have been easier. But, um, you're, d- you're the,
3: this is Dave in action with the, um, I yeah. just do what I'm told.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. This is what you want to use. Okay. This is what we're going to do.
3: I'm play, playing devil's advocate. You know. Why didn't you say? <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, what is yeah. this? Wolf, wolf one, Wolf two, Franken, Booberry. That's just the different, that's just switching the different wire, the wireless receivers to, so they was different bases.
0: Oh, okay. I'm
1: just curious what Blueberry is. And then these went, the rig went to um, a Fender Super Baseman amp, which is like Fender's version of an SVT, has two channels on it. One's gritty and one's cleaner, you know. And then uh, also a 5153 amp. And four by
4: twelve
1: hmm. uh, for really gritty, and the 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 fun part was we had to we had to make sure that all the channels on all the amps were you know phase aligned. So meaning meaning one channel he wasn't going to use a combination where one channel was out of phase with the other. Luckily, it actually was all in phase with each other. Hmm. I don't okay. think I put a phase reverse loop. Maybe it's been
3: uh, a while. <laughs> yeah, this was a minute ago, right?
1: I mean, I, I forget after a while, you know. I'm like, yeah, maybe I did that. I'm not sure.
0: <laughs> I think we've gone through all the pictures. Um, I just wanted to show this. This is around the same time. Dave Black. Oh yeah. Yeah,
1: that's it. No, there's your yet. melted PAF.
3: Yep. And no pick guard, just a weird like tape.
0: Yeah, the the other,
5: that's crazy. And
0: the, like this thing right here is like the volume knob is attached to like a square thing. That's like
1: oh like, yeah, that's a that's a Les Paul jack Les
0: plate. Les Paul jack plate.
2: Yeah, <laughs> 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 that's great, man. That's great.
0: That's holy shit. I never even thought about it. So that's a Les Paul jack plate
5: that he put a volume knob in.
2: Pretty sure. Plate. Yep. <laughs> I, mean, I can use this
5: and screw it to the there? guitar. Who and a telly... And go out and be like, I'm ready for my show.
3: <laughs> right, Michael. And a telly pickup, it's a totally a telly bridge pickup in the middle, and then it, that's a telly that's that neck pickup in the neck.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is before It doesn't really, really matter before. what you put in there, though, because they weren't on. <laughs>
3: yeah. <laughs>
0: it's Crazy. really weird, too, because he's got an extra screw here. Where? Right here where my cursor is. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, that's, that's guard screw, right? Yeah, that's possibly it. it could be I a think that's a pick guard screw.
3: screw. Yeah, just like I'm probably going to need this later. I'm going to lose it. I better just screw it. <laughs> <up.">
1: <laughs> yeah, or he yanked the pick guard off. I think there's another one further up by the middle pickup too.
3: Right. Oh yeah, there is. There's yeah. one up there. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah.
0: No, actually, they're they're here. There's oh, this
1: car. one's a black and white guitar. Remember? Oh
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you screwed them in again. That's so funny. Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't he, Look at the bridge. Isn't the bridge missing the a, the screw under the A-string?
1: Yeah, I think like it. so. It's hard to see <laughs> for sure.
0: Wow. Crazy. Um, all right, I think we've gone through all the pictures. This is a great picture, Dave, David Black. I mm. mean, you should be proud of this picture.
2: Good stuff, man.
0: Yeah, I love it. Um, all right, let me stop sharing my screen. Let's get to some super chats because I know... Uh, I'm
1: sure there's some questions in here that I haven't looked at at all. I'm sure there are. Let's see. Uh Leonard
0: Rod- Rodriguez uh gave us a super chat. Thank you. He says my first fan halen experience was attending both Fresno shows for the right here uh right Carnal Knowledge tour 15 years old incredible fan since 81. Awesome. Uh Joe Alba Thank you. Uh, some later tracks have this clipping to it, especially "Fire in the Hole." Do you think the mics are clipping, or what else causes that? Uh, I don't know. Wait, what? Some Sorry. later tracks have this clipping to it. He says, especially "Fire in the Hole." Fire. What album is
3: that on? Is that on uh, three?
0: "Fire in the Hole." I'm not sure. I'm not that.
3: There was a clipping on three that I heard when I listened to it. It's like, whoa! There's actually like. Audible clipping, like
1: yeah, that's so, probably Ed left to his own devices in his studio without any supervision. <laughs> <laughs> Got yeah. a take he liked and went good.
0: Yeah, that's is fine.
3: It is on three.
0: It is on three. Yeah,
3: on three. There's quite a bit of clipping going on that I know. I when I listen to it, you guys will hear it if you listen to some intros and you listen to it kind of quiet and you're like, whoa, there's like like digital clipping going on.
1: hmm They never listen
3: to anything quiet. Interesting. Yeah, true. And if you it's turn probably
1: it. Probably why they don't hear it.
0: Yeah. Uh, we missed Chad's uh, super chat. Um, thank you Chad for your super chat. We appreciate it. There was no question. Uh unfucking believable had a super chat. Uh, <laughs> the gist was that the Beatles on Ed Sullivan influenced a generation. The first time hearing VH1 influenced generations. Mm-hmm. Yep. I would agree. Uh, Gavin T uh, gave us a $100. Thank you very much. No question for that. Cheddar Kung Pal, $100. Thank you. Thank One you and enjoy. only EVH, amazing guitar player, but also amazing songwriter. I agree with you. Uh, Matt Lipschitz, uh, Super Chat, does Mr. Holland's Opus accept instrument donations from individuals? I have a guitar or I was going to get rid of and it might as well go to a good home.
3: I believe they probably do that's what yeah. ed did he gave him like 80 guitars i think
0: yeah reach out to him I, I don't see if it's a workable instrument i don't see why they wouldn't take it yeah. um haim batman i think that's what their name is um they gave us a 25 dollars super chat thank you chris parker gave us 100 dollars, 99 uh, super chat thank you uh stephane herbule Gave us a super chat. My question: My super. Does anyone know why anyone know why Ed didn't use a fuzz or other pedal?
1: He didn't like distortion. Distortion pedals. At least that's what he told me. Yeah, I don't know why he would.
3: There you go. Yeah, like a fuzz. Did, like the tone of high. You know when you had cranking a, a Marshall. This it's hard to get away from. I know Dave Black like. And, and all you guys, I mean, when you it's like you, you can use the overdrives and distortions and fuzzes it's like, oh, this is cool, this is cool, this makes cool sense. And then you just get back to cranking the amp and try that and go fuck like it's so great. Like no. so if you could just do that all the time, why wouldn't you? You know? <laughs> I don't know, it's just a more dynamic, like it's something about the like a high voltage tube amp working in harmony.
2: That's awesome, dude! Holy fuck, dude.
1: Oh man, that would be killer if you would have thought about that and had some <laughs> girl come by. <laughs> Just no, in the background.
0: Man.
4: Oh
2: fuck, I'm <laughs> so God.
0: God. That would have been great. Just cruising around. Oh,
1: that's awesome. God, my
0: cheeks are so fucking red, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Eric Johnson, thank you. Uh, I love
3: Cliffs of Dover, by the way. Thank you, man. (laughs) (laughs) But Dave Black, what do you think about that? Because you play—I've seen you play. You play good and loud, and you play raw. And when you do that,
2: you know. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of—I never had any luck using like fuzz boxes loud because. I don't know. Loud is its own thing. It's its own environment. You know what I mean? It's it, it kind of changes. Something that might sound good with fuzz at lower volume doesn't sound good when you turn it up loud like that. I don't know why. Does that make sense? Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally.
2: I used to tell the uh, uh, Galileo pedal, the Brian May pedal. Hmm. You know what's and it's like, wow, I really like that. It's kind of Mick Ronsony sounding, a lot of color to it and stuff. But if I try and do it with my stuff set up the way as you do it, it doesn't sound the same, and it's not pleasant sounding. It's unpleasant sounding. You know, it's it's fake. It sounds fake. It doesn't sound real. Mm.
3: Fake is it? Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, because that's the thing with Eddie Van Halen, where I think getting the distortion from a you know volume and the amp all high voltage and being so dynamic and everything, you know, where you roll the volume down on the guitar and everything changes a lot. Like it's just this,
1: you know, know, the funny thing is I just, um, we all know, I mean, personally, I I don't even know if he's here tonight. Uh, Reza, right.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, We know who Reza is. And, uh, and I worked, he bought, he bought a, um, he bought a power station for using it with something else, but then he decided to buy an old Marshall. So uh, he bought a like a 1972 or 70 or something, I don't remember what it was, and which I refurbished a little bit for him, and uh, you know put new tu- new tubes and, uh, you know just dialed it in, dialed the dialed the plexi in so to speak, because he has a PS100 Friat power station, yeah, and and you know I got it sounding good. He took it. And he did some clips with it that he posted recently. And I'm listening to those clips going, That's the best sound you ever got. <laughs> I mean, hands down, I mean, that was just like just money. It sounded so good, you know? It just sounded like a great Marshall, you know? Yeah, he wasn't doing the act trip or anything like that. It was just, but was yeah. Frank Marshall, he's using Les Paul, and it sounded amazing.
3: It's just the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's the best it's like what we i mean all...
1: uh, and you hear his clip and you're just like man that sounds good <laughs> shit yeah
3: <laughs> look at that rig behind you
1: yeah right i mean it's just <laughs> i know i know everyone always says why don't you have the friedman amps behind you well because this is my collection man so you know it's my vintage collection so it just you know i have it here at home and you know my other amps are at the shop so um yeah, you know that's a Jose 100 watt Marshall on top of that with two <laughs> vintage basket weave cabinets. Pete got his basket weave cabinet at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah right. we got incredible deals on them. Well, I I wonder sure if did. How, yeah,
3: George Lynch showed up ten minutes later and bought the rest of them. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and and you know and and they sound wicked. So
3: they sound so wicked, and it's like okay, well, nothing here is like post nineteen seventy two almost or something, and it just sounds like yeah hard to get away from how good it sounds sounds. that's awesome it's harder than it needs to be just turn
1: the amp on 10
3: (laughs) rest
0: in peace you know you know the
1: funny thing is when you have a non-master volume amp and you're cranking it into like a load or maybe you're using a variac with it and this and that man it's just got so much dimension to it and so much feel to it it almost doesn't need anything you know it's just like so right to begin with that's right if the amp is dialed in properly
3: it's like an old pair of shoes yeah just ah there it is that ah, i'm home boom done sounds great. yeah
0: uh so just want to mention deja blue thanks i agree with you F cancer for sure. Uh, Steve Rayburn. Opinions on the EVH
1: greenbacks. They're great. They're fine. They're essentially a, um, they, they started life as a, a heritage greenback. Um, I don't know if they're exactly like it, but they started life as that. Okay. Good speaker. Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah.
3: The one one thing they're great for is the low efficiency. So with a hundred watt amp, four of them in a four twelve will drop your volume like noticeably, which is nice when you're cranking a hundred watt Marshall, um, mm-hmm. or fifty watt. But they they definitely sound a little quieter. It's certainly, like a couple three dB quieter than a V thirty. I think a V thirty is ninety seven dB efficiency. They're ninety five or ninety six or something. Yeah. Or maybe V thirty is ninety eight or ninety nine, and a regular Greenback is like ninety six or ninety seven, and then these are like ninety six, and it makes a difference. Yeah,
1: you know? a little quieter, a little softer.
3: Yeah, and they're a little softer sounding. But overall, I prefer the um, regular Greenback, just and they're a little less expensive and stuff. But but the Heritage ones are cool, especially for a high distortion. Eddie Van Halen, like they're actually really quite cool. There's a little um they're not the most like punchy aggressive speaker or like if you're looking for, you know, they're interesting. They're kind of like squishy or something, or maybe it's just the reduced volume. There's something about them that sounds like I don't love them for a lot of other things other than that, you know, cranking a hundred watt Plexi into like, I wouldn't use them with a Soldano or something.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah interesting uh we've got a, a super chat top chat from leroy bullock uh thank you he says when i was a kid i used to try and play eddie solos with an upside down guitar played left-handed now i play normal left-handed and still can't play them
1: <laughs> 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 rest in peace
0: eddie the king that's funny
1: um, isn't that a trip when you see uh, a lefty play a right-handed guitar Left-handed, yeah. Sure. So like Eric Gales, yeah, right, right. You if you watch him, you're just like, oh my god, it's not
3: Doyle Bramhall. You,
1: you're, you're like yeah, looking, you're looking at his fingers and the strings, and you're just like, wait, what's going on? I yeah, playing rhythm. I can't wrap
3: my head around it, you know.
0: Yeah, playing rhythm, or even when he's bending notes and he's bending down, like yeah, the, yeah, like
1: crazy, yeah. yeah.
3: Oil plays. It's cool. It's like wow. I kind of love that shit because it reminds me of like when I was a kid and I didn't understand what was going on. Right. Yeah, but you see,
1: like the 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 licks in reverse. It's so yeah. it's so bizarre to watch Eric Gales. I hope it. he's okay.
0: By the way,
2: yeah. he's yeah. home.
1: He's home. Eric's oh yeah, he's home. Yeah. So he's that's good. He released him from the hospital. So that that's good. Oh good. Yeah. Very good. Eric Gales. Yeah, he had yeah, COVID. 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 Yeah, he and his wife. They uh they did a GoFundMe too. If anyone wants to contribute to that, uh, Eric Gales, there's a GoFundMe out there for uh you know medical expenses and stuff because I don't think he's been gigging and no money coming in. You know, oh. and I don't think he was the wealthiest individual to begin with. Um, and they've raised I think at last I looked they raised like twenty seven thousand dollars so far. Oh good. So, you know, just to help with some expenses and stuff. Right. But uh, I, it, yeah, I was worried at first when he went to the hospital. I was like, "Oh no, no, <laughs> oh, no!" Yeah,
0: that's all. That's all we need,
1: you know. And like, I, 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 they sent him home, so that's good. So he's recovering at home. So I think he's think he's okay.
0: Good to hear. Uh, we're gonna go like another ten minutes. Um, we'll get to as many questions as we can. Uh, we have another one from IIF Boston. Thank you for the super chat. How to get the pound cake micro pitch sound on a mono rig? Thanks to Pete and Michael for the inspiration and being great teachers.
1: Um, you know, you know, for a, for a minute, what worked really well? Huh? Oh, No, time. I was
3: to go get the door, but I was going to say thank you for the because uh, he was saying thank you. So, thank you
1: uh, for a. You know, uh, for a mono little pitch detune thing, there was a pedal that was made by Digitech for a while called the Lux and did a great um, mono pitch detune.
5: Really quick, because they're all going to sell out if Dave is saying a pedal.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the Lux from Digitech. Okay, now the prices just went through the roof. (laughs) I'm I'm (laughs) running it down, by the way. That that happened with the Polaro.
0: It's a race. It did happen with the Polara. By the
1: way, also the Polara, Digitech Polara on the plate reverb is a great Van Halen plate reverb. If you want to uh, get a hold of that too. They're all full. No. Yeah. There's <laughs> none of them. none
5: of them.
0: That's funny. Uh, False Nine, thank you for your super chat. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's going to a great cause. Uh, Vibhas Patil, thank you. Pete, you've talked about that story about the tech Lonnie and EVH. I'm curious about how much of Eddie's sound was actually in the way he physically attacked the strings with his picking hand. EVH's rhythm playing was magic. Um,
3: Lonnie related that story to me about how Ed came around and put his arms around him one day and then was playing as Lonnie was like tuning a guitar or something.
1: Yeah. I was there.
3: Okay, you tell the story because you were there.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. Well, so Lonnie, Lonnie, Lonnie said that, and uh, he, you know, he Ed goes around and shows him. He you know shows him how like something on the guitar, and and what Lonnie noticed was like when Ed played, he sort of punched the string. It was like a quick snap and a punch, and 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 uh, you know that that has to you know that's totally
2: makes sense to me. That's what I stole from the orchestra pit when I was watching him do Van Halen. Yeah, right.
1: You, you do the same thing. You have that quick snap, that punch, bam.
3: Tell us about that. What did you? So, what did you see, Dave? And then what did you?
2: Uh, it's the approach, you know what I mean. It's like all all the different rigs and heads and all that stuff is great, but you could tell Eddie Van Halen would sound just like Eddie Van Halen through anything. Did anybody ever hear the uh, who's it? The, the Steve Rosen interview. Yeah. yeah where he's sitting in his friend, and it's like, dude, go! Oh my god, that's 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 stunning because you can hear. It's like he just picked up what was ever was there and blows through the whole the highlights of the whole record for the guy. Have you
1: yeah. heard that, Michael? No. Oh, Steve, yeah. Steven Rosen,
2: interview. interview. I haven't heard. it. Is it on YouTube? Van Halen, too, yeah.
1: I think too. I think it was their new. Google record. it.
2: Yeah, Steve Rosen, Van Halen interview. So he just threw a cassette on, and they're talking in his living room about the new record that's coming out. And it's Ed just playing pieces of it,
1: and it's it's playing all the riffs, either acoustically on an electric or maybe through a clean amp. I can't. Yeah, not, yeah, some bullshit. There. Yeah, great. And every harmonic, and every little squeal, and everything you hear clear as day, on a completely clean deal. Yeah, he's got the attack, and, when you, and the attack, and everything. Tonight. tonight it's amazing to hear it
3: I'm check and check that out
1: which means you know that he plugs into anything like dave said
3: steve rosen looks like paul schaefer
4: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it was a, it was a really cool interview to hear all that those little noodly parts and show. Oh yeah, this new riff it goes like this, you know, and it's totally seventies like style, you know.
2: Like, He's all really excited, and you know, yeah, you could just tell where he was in life. It's like, man, what a great point, you know. Oh, it'll
1: blow. Point. If you haven't heard it, you got to hear it because it'll blow your mind that he could do all that stuff with no game.
2: Yeah, which.
1: I'm, which tells me how strong those mitts are. We talked. We talked about that um, yeah. earlier, Pete, before you.
3: Mm-hmm. His hands are so strong. I'm sure
1: you shook his hands at one point in time. It was like
3: a small, powerful thing.
1: It, it was like it was like going to break your hand, pretty much. It was like this. It's not small though. He's kind of big hand, and just like I seem to remember, like a focus power. <laughs> power, yeah, but like a rock, like a hand that's a rock.
3: You know where I hear that is in the, the, the trills interruption in the middle part. That that trill before the tapping part, right? Those trills are so fast, man. You
1: you hear that kind of shit in the Stephen Rosen stuff too when he does the trills, but clean. Yeah, yeah. And you know that he is hammering on that fingerboard, that string, crazy hard. Yeah. In order to make it pop out.
3: Yeah, it's funny. There's a lot of good guitar players. That can be a fascinating moment where you see, like, Guthrie Govan, I remember seeing him play at the Sur, uh, or, like, we were just rapping one day, and he had a guitar acoustically at the Sur factory. And I was like, his hands on the neck, the sound they were making, like, whoa, (laughs) like, whoa, he's got a lot of power in his left hand. Like, he was Mm -hmm. screwing around, I could Mm -hmm. hear his hand hitting the neck. And I remember Bruce Boulet talking about uh, Paul Gilbert uh, when they were at MI, that he was like, yeah, when his finger hits the neck, acoustically like you could hear his like yeah. this power and sure. all yeah. his huge hands you know
1: and that's oh. what you'll hear on the steven rosen tape yeah you gotta check that out hey,
5: so, i know you you knew ed how did you hook up with Ed in the first place
3: sorry is that me or yeah, um, yeah.
5: how did you you hook up with Ed in the first place it's through dave oh
3: so it's um Without, I'll make a separate video about it at some point, I think, but um just tell this story. But uh, Dave introduced me to him, um, and it was through, because I was working on, I was playing with Chris Cornell, and Ed and Chris were friends, uh, going, probably not a lot of people know that, but going, like, way back in the 90s, they had, like, some, you know, some good hangs and stuff like that, and Chris, they had a mutual appreciation. Wild night. What's that? <laughs> yeah, the Wild, wild night. Wild And Ed always wanted to do something with... Um, with Chris you know even after Chris passed he actually told me how he was like oh man I always wanted to do something with him you know and it never quite went to fruition but it almost came to fruition so that was the uh, uh, Chris had brought up to me I was producing a couple songs for and he brought up to me uh, they were like acoustic versions of songs from a scream album that I was just working up for him um to use for things and I don't know what he even want to do with them but we decided to do these like stripped down acoustic versions and so i got drums bass me playing 12 string guitar on one of them i don't remember on the other one um but and it was upright bass and like brushes on drums really mellow acoustic versions and chris said what would what you think if we got eddie van halen to play on this if we asked him to play on it And i was like oh my god are you kidding me like dude like and uh i was so excited you know and so a few weeks went by and i guess i, I maybe brought it up a couple times to chris and said, Did you did you, you know, try and hit up Ed or anything like that? You know? And it was like, No, no, but I will, I will. One day I was in Dave's shop and Dave said, I'm going up to work on Ed's I gotta go up to fifty one fifty, work on a rig or something, you know. And I was like, Ah oh, the light bulb went off. And I said, Can you ask Ed? Just let him know, like that Chris Cornell mentioned I'd love to have him work on this song, you know, maybe two songs. And uh and Dave said, Sure, and I got a text an hour later, said Ed wants you to give him a call. And so I did. How <laughs> nervous were you in that call? I was really nervous. Actually, okay, let <laughs> me tell a little bit more of this. I'll tell you a little bit more of the story that I told last Saturday. So I put his, I put his, uh, I called him and I got the answering machine, which I think was the, where he was aping this, the South park voice or something, or the Jimmy yeah. the voice, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and I left a message on his machine. Um, and I'm super nervous leaving a message on his machine, but uh, Hey, you know, Dave Friedman, Got your number for Dave Friedman. I played with Chris Cornell, and he asked me to give you a call. Uh, And so the next morning, I think it was, I I was actually, I put his number in my phone, of course, you know. And the next morning, I was actually in the John. (laughs) (laughs) I had to go to the John. I went to the John, and, like, I could hear my phone. (laughs) Vibrating on the kitchen table. And when I got back, it it said, Miss Call, Eddie Van Halen, you know. (laughs) You're like, fuck. (laughs) What <laughs> is that feeling of like, really, you know? And so I, I called him and, um, and, uh, we talked and, and of course the, the Chris Cornell thing was a great bridge to me, not being at quite as nervous, you know, cause I had a purpose to, you know? And he said, well, what's this track, you know? And I told him the story kind of, he said, how soon can you come up? And I can check it out. And I was like, I live in studio city, man. I'm right down the Hill, you know? And, uh, and so he was having problems with his air conditioning. I remember. So we set a time, and then he said, to "My studio, the AC in my studio is uh, uh, not working and stuff." So maybe. And so he ended up getting put back a few days, and then eventually I ended up going up there. And I, I'll like I say, I'll tell the whole story in another because it's crazy. There's some crazy stuff that happened, some really endearing stuff, and and really unbelievable stuff. But I went up there, and you know, main thing is I ended up in 5150 and with. Sitting there, I, I always thought I would meet him somehow, like in passing, and just say, You mean so much to me, and you know, that and shake his hand, maybe hopefully something like that. I never thought it would be potentially like doing a track of some sort or something, it was like mind blowing. So, I uh, ended up sitting there in 5150 with him beside me, cranking the track through the mains, and him listening to it. And you know how loud it is, yeah, he likes to listen loud, but it's me playing guitar because it's the 12 coming out you know it's the acoustic and toss panels on drums and john button on bass coming through the mains and he's sitting beside me going okay i'm gonna listen then you tell me what you want me to do right like i'll
5: you tell know. you sure <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: i was just like is this how? i don't know how to describe it i still i get all like worked up even just thinking about it now but um it's big though man that's cool so like a, yeah, and it actually we, we we did work on it. And so for like like with like I said the other day before blabbermouth gets a hold of it or something says so this is unreleased track with Chris Cornell. And I uh, long story short, Chris never ended up singing on it, but Ed played on it. And um, so long, you know, sometimes when you're in this business, like creative people, artists, they get ideas and they want to do things and stuff, and then it just goes like in one end and out the other and then it never happens and that's kind of what chris just disappeared off the map after that for like the next two months i would call him because ed played on it and i went up there he tried some ideas on it so i went up going up there a couple more times and listening and stuff like that and it's there's a track up there on a 24 track reel with like i say toss on drums and john button on bass me on acoustic guitar and him on electric guitar and i heard it once with the ideas coming back through that and just going I can't believe this you know i was just like but
0: you never got a copy of it
3: i never got a copy of it and i what i said to him that day was i think it would be great to get a scratch vocal on this before we proceed any further like so that you can hear the melody and stuff so you know what because i had no scratch vocal on it and he said yeah that'd be awesome you know and he he agreed with that and i was like okay and but he was totally down with it It was so organic and beautiful man and it was really because of dave dave really was the bridge to to making that happen and then we you know, stayed friends after that and became friends for the next like 10 years and stayed in touch and stuff. But I owe it all to Dave really, you know, being able to meet my childhood hero and any of that happening. Um, And long story short, so I, I would try and get in touch with Chris over the next couple of months. No response. I would say I actually got in touch with Ed and I made this happen and he's playing on the track and it's all happening. Can I get a scratch vocal from you? No response. And that would happen sometimes, you know, he would just just sort of disappear off the map a little bit and I wouldn't hear from him. You know, and I didn't want to push it because he had to work for him. So it's like, I don't want to pester him either, you know? So I kind of let it go for a bit and just put it on the back burner. And then Ed got busy working on a different kind of truth at that point. And by the time Chris kind of came back around, it was like, I just sort of let it go, you know? And then a couple of years after that. So if anybody saw Chris Cornell on the songbook tour, he played on the songbook tour with a, a record player on stage and he would put the needle drop the needle on a record, and then jam along, kind of like you're playing in your living room when you're a kid. To mm-hmm. records and that track he actually used, but not with Ed on it because I never got the mix. But he hit me up a couple of years after that and said, Hey, remember when you were working on that version of Scream? Uh, you know, like, I, can I get that so I can put it on LP and play to it on tour? So he would yeah. drop the needle on the record and then jam along. So if anybody saw him, they saw him playing to that version of the song. And I was just, you know, I was thinking then to myself, like, yeah, man, would have been great if we could have done this when Ed was actually working on the song and stuff. But it just it was one of those things that didn't coalesce into actually working out. So, but it was a, man, I think about the whole thing. I can't even believe it. You know, that's so, amazing. That's that story. But that's incredible. Uh, very. He, I love that guy, man. He was super fun and super sweet. And the whole Dave introduced me at a time right after he'd really gotten sober and everything. And then he, he, the main, you know, there's a lot, it hurt my feelings, my feelings for him a lot over the next 10 years to see a lot of stuff, people would say things on internet forums and in the press or about like, Oh, you know, he just, it's the Van Halen brothers are so difficult or whatever. And they can't, you know, why can't they put out any more music? Why can't they do this? And you don't know, you know what people are going through and stuff. And he was going through for a long time, a lot of stuff, you know, like, and mm-hmm. we're really hard on his health and trying, like really fighting hard, like diet, exercise, staying clean, like all that stuff, like in you know, and like really working hard on it, and it really important to um just to focused be, on that to be, he was really focused on that on trying to be healthy, and he couldn't and he i think he really wanted to do stuff and but it wasn't always possible because of his you know he had to focus on that, and he worked so hard on it, and um so to just know that that's what kinda he was he was going through stuff, you know there's a lot of stuff that, People just don't know people's personal struggles and things that they. But he was he was in such a good place. I do believe, right, Dave? I mean, yeah. I think, and yeah, really, yeah.
1: he know. really straightened his stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I mean, I started working in the darkest of times with him. Right. The 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 rock bottom. So I saw it through till, you know, the end, so to speak and uh, yeah he was in a a great place you know he he really got his shit together thank god so yeah uh,
3: yeah i mean like to the point you know folks should know that there was no giving up right you know like no giving up like just i i can't even believe some of the you know the amount of work and effort that he put into you know staying healthy and trying to trying to get back to that place where he could go out and play music i've never seen anything like it i mean he's but, but it's not a secret that i mean for 20 years basically on and off he was fighting this stuff these yeah
2: albums,
3: right you know
2: mm-hmm.
3: like stuff that my father got cancer around the same time that he did and my dad passed away within a couple of years exact same thing in his tongue you know i had had a lot of resources obviously financial resources and stuff to, but you know his he went for it. I mean, as far as like the, he went for it the same kind of way that he went for music. I think like the way that he went after his health, you know, like, like being really creative with mm-hmm. trying trying try different things and different approaches. And man, did it ever work for like 20 years? You know?
1: Yeah. I remember he, t- he told me once it's like the standard cancer approach. You know, he met with, I mean, this was a long time ago. He told me this, like yeah. when he first had, had it and he met with a bunch of doctors and this and that. And he like, he got, really educated with what they did and he goes yeah so you do this this then this and this and here's the results it doesn't work it just doesn't work what you're doing doesn't work Mm -hmm. and the the statistics prove it and and you know and so he seek you know sought alternate treatments Uh, um in you know europe and and different places that he could go that they would do that
0: you know which sustained them longer than yeah probably
1: oh really a long time yeah when you really look at yeah
2: 65 is still too short though speaking as oh, a man you of know course. what i mean that's like wow dude that's hard to imagine it's hard to imagine yeah, it, that's what makes you so sad it is mm-hmm. it's way too
0: young no doubt yeah uh more super chats uh j custom mm-hmm thank you uh if i swap out one of the g1230s in my evh 212 with a creamback 65 what will the cab's new power handling be awesome show and rest in peace evh it won't
1: well it won't be any more (laughs) actually it's it's based on the lower speaker wattage so so in other words, like in, in our cabs, in our 412s, we have two 25-watt greenbacks and two vintage oh. 30s. But in reality, it's a 100-watt cabinet. Um, just because the the two vintage 30s are higher wattage doesn't mean anything. So it's really not going to get you anything unless you change both speakers.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Super chat from
0: Eddie dkk i don't know what that is but i think that's a currency thank you really appreciate it uh let me just try to see if there's any more super chats that i've missed here uh nope i know BV sent me a few uh rob garland if you each had to pick four less obvious vh songs to listen to tonight which ones would you pick i'd go within a simple rhyme secrets pleasure
1: dome and mine all oh mine good picks i couldn't come up with the off the top of my head i couldn't come up with those choices <laughs> um well
0: the one song that i've been working on just for me is women in love that's a great one. Oh, i love that
1: so great i
0: mean um Secrets is a great song. You know what the other one that I really like is from that Dave did was uh, Me Wise
3: Magic.
1: And oh, that was cool. Yeah, later. Yeah, that was good.
3: The other one too from that period. Uh, I can't get the stuff no more. I
1: love yeah. that. Yeah,
0: it's cool. Those. Yeah, those two songs were very very cool.
3: It was almost. You know
0: what it was? It was like a blending. I was talking about this with a friend of mine. It was like a blending of Hagar, Van Hagar music with Dave. On oh, yeah. vocals, hmm. which was cool, a um, bit different. Uh, all right, so let's see if we can get to any more questions before we end. I, I remember
1: one interesting thing. You know, you know when you said that uh, Ed came around Lonnie and showed him, uh, you know, something about how he attacked the guitar or whatever. Hmm. Um, I actually remember him on that tour in rehearsals doing that to Michael Anthony. Oh yeah. No, no, you play it like this. And he reaches his arm around Michael Anthony and like, he's showing him how to play it. That's Just awesome. some stupid little thing I thought of.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, that, that reminds me of, because uh, I missed the 2015 tour because I was pissed at Ed. And in retrospect, I'm sad that I missed the 2015 tour because when he did that Vanity Fair article, and um, Was kind of bashing Mikey and said, you know, I had to teach Mike all the bass parts and videotape it for him and stuff like that. I was really bummed, well, and, and I missed the 2015 tour. I was like, oh, Ed, why you, why are you bad mouthing Mikey? He's such a nice guy, you know. And in retrospect, I wish I,
1: I won't even repeat things I've heard like that. Yeah, so, <laughs> that that goes pretty far back, <laughs> but uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um, uh, Vinnie Moretti asked, do all and pedals have analog dry path? I think most do. I know the delays do. So. Okay. Uh,
0: Jason McNamara. Eddie was looking amazing when I saw him. lucky enough to meet him back in 50, 50, 5150 back in 2017. That was a great video that you did, Jason. Yeah. Um, really enjoyed that. I'm glad you got a chance to meet him. How cool was that, right? Um, Let's see. Mark, I donated 25. Wanted to ask Dave what musician, past and present, he'd love to see a Friedman and which model. Thanks, Ronnie Walker. Appreciate it.
1: Oh, wait. Is that Ronnie
5: in the gym? Crap. Huh? He's shredded. Yes, he is. is.
0: If that's Ronnie, yeah. Is that
1: really his picture?
5: Jeez. Uh,
1: what artist I'd like to see have a Friedman essentially is that what he was asking? Mark? Yeah,
0: yeah. He said, What, 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 past edition, past, and and present. present? I'd love to see a uh, Friedman in which model? Shit. Uh, uh
1: Jimmy Page, <laughs> Jimmy Page with the Dirty Shirley. Oh,
5: that's cool. Yeah. Uh, there
1: uh, Warren Martini, just because. <laughs> he's an awesome dude, and and I think he'd love the amps. We were actually supposed to get together, but uh, then COVID happened, and it was like, well, <laughs> I should message him now. I still want that to happen.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, we got a nice super chat from Waterford Giant. If I missed that, I'm sorry. Thank you very much i know we've made a lot of money tonight if
1: we've missed any super chats we're sorry but thank you very much yes yeah, <laughs> really,
0: really right? bb's been helping me um i think we missed maybe l scott music gave us a five dollar super chat thank you l scott music i think we touched the question about the wolfgang special in usa so we got that um so i think we've touched on all the questions uh super chat questions um the Car- Guitar Guru Network. If you guys want to get good products, go to the Guitar
1: Guru Network. Yeah, he said there's a new noise gate called the Shut Man or Shut Up Man. It's supposed to yes, be epic. I don't know. I mean, how much more epic can a noise gate
0: get? <laughs> Sixty-five years of that was the gift of a lifetime.
1: Yeah, you, you, know? you know, here's the funny thing about noise gates. They they were widely widely used in the eighties, um, but. Most all pro rigs that I do now have none, zero. So, right. yeah. And then people ask, "Well, how do they deal with the noise?" Well, they just do. <laughs> Don't
3: you think? Like, maybe people were like ignorant to things like ground loops and stuff, though. Then, and so they were using gates
1: to patch. That's true. That's true. And you know, if 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 the rig is done right, it won't have anything but hiss. Right, uh, you know, won't hum. It won't do anything. Um, I know some people use it as a crutch to be able to gate out the sounds. You know, that's a different thing to be mm. able to make it like a tight gate. You know, but man, still though, I mean, most most of the guys that I know that I've done rigs for don't use gates. Mm. Just yeah huh. uh, you'd also be surprised how little gain some of them use. Right, that's another thing, you know. So, uh, you know, people like oh, Jerry Control's sound is really gainy in this. set. I go, Well, yeah, if you look at his gain controls, they at like six, it's not like, and one's on a BE setting and one's on a JB setting, uh, that's not all that gainy, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got another super chat,
0: Leonard Rodriguez. What about Eddie's backstage fender amps from the old days and the old pictures? Any Variox mods? I have no idea.
3: I know Frank Symes told me, um, well, there's a couple things. One thing that Eddie mentioned in early interviews was playing through one of those old fenders, whether it was a bass bandmaster, or a bandmaster mm-hmm. and he used to plug into the extension speaker jack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it, he said, it sounded great. You could turn it way up, and it was like practice volume. And I tried that on my old basement. And it's like, you're basically unloading the amp at that point, and it's distorting like crazy. But it,
1: I've tried it with well, my... Well, you're, you're, short, you're shorting the amp to ground, technically. Uh-huh. So, so the used first jack shunts the amp to ground. So the, the other jack is then just getting, like, some bleed, so to speak. Okay. Probably not really good for the amp. Yeah, but it sounds great. <laughs> yeah, you know.
3: Great. And so I've tried that and I know he used to do that, and he said that was his favorite sound he ever got was his bandmaster in his bedroom. Like mm-hmm using and he he, when you think about it how much he played he probably played it like that forever without it blowing up you know true Uh,
1: fenders are real uh really resilient to that kind of stuff though
3: yeah not recommending it by any means but um but and then the other thing is i remember frank Simes telling me about blowing up his amp and uh at a gig and him mentioning you see sometimes ed with like other amps like in the mid 70s stacked up on the side of the stage Hmm. uh you know fenders in a Vox. sometimes you see and he had these different heads you know and i remember frank telling me he borrowed his bandmaster one night at a gig he'd land, he'd blown up as his, his amp like it was one of those times when they were playing together at the Gazaris or something or you know two sets at the whiskey or whatever both bands and uh and he lent the amp to frank this bandmaster and and he played through it for his set and he said it sounded great um <laughs> It's kind of cool, like borrowed it from Ed. But he he also told me stories about them like hanging out in the back alley behind like the whiskey and stuff and drink. He said Bring Ed Schlitz. Adidas bag full of Schlitz. Yeah, instead of buying <laughs> or whatever you know he yeah he did have a and it's you know drinking in the back alley and stuff together. It's crazy. Another <laughs> funny story. Just from that same era, I remember Jimmy Volpe, a a drummer that was in a band called Smile, that was also around in that era jamming. A lot of these bands, like Whiz Kids, Smile, you know, then Van Halen gets the deal and just blows up. It goes big. But Jimmy was in a band called Smile that used to jam with Van Halen, play with Van Halen, same bills and stuff. And he told me a story about right after Van Halen got signed, they were playing like the Whiskey, and it was either Ed or Dave had a uh, Volvo station wagon. That they used to like you know literally like gear on the roof sort of thing or all stuffed in the back and show up for the gig in this four-door crappy volvo station wagon and he told me a story about dave uh after they'd gotten signed but still you know they were just newly signed you know Screaming around the corner in the in the Volvo station wagon, in 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 from the you know around the corner of the whiskey, Dave banging on the door and yelling out the window, saying, "Wait till all you guys get your big record deal, you get yourself a nice car like this." You know, it was (laughs) 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 blasting off down Sunset Boulevard. You know, after a gig, I can picture Dave doing that. Yeah, (laughs) cool, man. That's funny. Uh, We got
0: a few more Magic Era. Totally. Disco Scotty. Thank goodness we got a full lifetime of music from EVH. Imagine what Hendrix would have given us over the multiple de- decades. Oh, yeah, right? Yeah. It's so crazy. crazy. Uh, Mark, on Women in Love, didn't Ed use an H910? Thanks for this, guys. You know, I've been trying to figure out what Ed did use on Women in Love because that tone is very compressed. It's clean, but so the tapping on it is just so crisp.
3: The
0: intro. Yeah. Cool. You know, it's just but it's not distorted, you know. Like when I try to play it, it's like I'm using it with distortion and trying to turn the amp down, but it's his so it's it's gotta have some heavy compression on it, I would imagine.
3: Yeah, I don't really know what that is. I've always wondered to be honest. Also, the
1: intro of um uh I know you I, I know you use that um chorus echo thing that boss the Roland chorus echo I had one in my shop I know he used that a bunch early on yeah I wonder if he used that I was thinking about hear about it
3: later too. the intro it's like yeah. I don't think that's the Marshall I remember
1: Toshi has has one that he got because he's you know the Van Halen nut and uh right. and i worked on that at the shop recently
3: I thought, cool the,
1: I thought the chorus
3: that they came out with sounded great and really similar to be honest yeah. But, I mean, that was, uh, like, I did a video for that pedal, that EVH chorus, you know? And that's what it was supposed to be duping was the, you know? So I think he would have, you know, had an issue with it had he not. I mean, Dave, you remember, I've heard people say that the flanger doesn't sound the same, like the the EVH reissue flanger, but it sounds exactly the same to me. As, as the vintage one? Yeah, when you stick the button in on the new one.
1: That's close. close. Have you compared it,
3: dude? Do you remember the video that we did together for your amp? Yeah, where I panned it left and right, and yeah, they, and it matched. Well, you pulled.
1: but you got the amp sound, yeah. But I mean, yeah, but I guess but the so. Yeah, is exactly the flanger well, sounds a little different, like if you compare them. But I mean, in the context of the thing, it doesn't really matter. I don't know, man. I thought they nailed it.
3: Honestly, I don't yeah. necessarily yeah. feel the same about the Phase ninety, but the flanger, the Phase ninety
0: is is off. You got to get the. You got to get like the re-issue, the reissue script.
1: Well, you no. Actually, you to be honest, you really need an old one. I mean, the reissue script logo, handwired, is close, but it's lacking. Com, if you compare it to an old one, it is lacking a little something, man. It's just, it's just a little more sterile sounding. Mm. The old ones have this kind of. Modern juicy well. sort of feel to them. It's hard to explain. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just, it's just better. <laughs> the, the, the new one's close, but you know, it's better.
0: Modern, let's. I think this is the last one we've got. Um, modern vintage Dave, if Someone wanted a fifty-one fifty EVH sound from your amps. Which would it be? Maybe one of them, but modded in some way, or a one hundred deluxe.
1: Well, I mean, mm, why? I mean. <laughs> uh, Here's the thing. I mean, my amp is going to do more of the older tone. Um, It's not going to do the newer tone. And
0: well, if you put that saturation switch on.
1: Nah, it's still not going to do the newer tone. I mean, I don't, you know. I, I mean, the new tone is cool, but it's not like the old tone for me. So, I mean, I, I'm just you know, buy the EVH amp. Right. If you want the new tone. But why do you want to do that?
4: (laughs) Um,
0: All right, we've been going almost three hours. I have to pee. Um, (laughs) And uh, I go too. I do. This has been an epic show. Epic. If we missed any super chats, I completely apologize. Um, But we will gather all the money up and I'm going to make the donation. I'll, I'll, uh, let you guys know what we what we tallied up and where it's going to uh but i really appreciate it and to my guests pete thorne michael nielsen david black you guys are fantastic thank you so much for hanging with us and doing this show
2: thanks for having me man thanks for letting me come out it's good to see you
1: guys yeah and if you guys if there's questions we missed feel free to email me at friedmanamps at gmail.com if you want to ask the question i'll answer it no problem here's one uh, oh.
0: Could 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 you ask Dave if that was him lighting Ed's cigarette
1: at the flower palace? Yes, it was. It was. <laughs> that was the most epic party that I've ever been to. So so that was a party for the he did some music um, for this uh, porn film. Uh, he did that music, uh, the Catherine song, and and another song, mm-hmm. and uh, he had a, he invested in this movie or something. And uh, they threw an opening party at his house. And uh, essentially that is, uh, you know, they were busing people up to the house and going to this party. I mean, there was a few hundred people at this party and it was all, you know, in the house and in the backyard and there were Cirque du Soleil style performers on trapezes and stuff. Stuff. There were topless girls sliding down the pool slide into the pool. There was open bars everywhere, like multiple bars, like a main bar, a mojito bar, a margarita bar, or a something else bar. You know? Yeah, that was that was an ugly night. <laughs> that was an ugly night of open bars. It's like going to the wedding with the open bar. Yeah, it's a bad idea, (laughs) but it was the coolest party I've ever been to. It was amazing, and on the way out the door, Drunk Dave had to stop because in the the foyer of his uh, house, there was a piano, and he was sitting there playing it, and I had to watch it for a while because I Really playing it. And and meanwhile, there's a girl on a trapeze above it. <laughs> so fucking weird. Um, it was amazing. He was an amazing piano player. Amazing. Uh, yeah.
5: Can I tell you a quick EVH story? Yeah. Uh, in the late 90s, I worked at the Guitar Center Sherman Oaks. And uh, my day off, Eddie Van Halen had come in. Of course, it was my day off and he i've seen the story around but there was a kid there and was asking him how how do you mic up the guitar cab and it says well i take a 57 and a 58 because well i could only afford to get one of them so ed bought both of them for the kid oh wow so the next day i worked that kid came back and returned one of the mics get out (laughs) he returned one of the mics. he's like i only need one Everyone was like, oh, Jesus. You kid, get out of
2: here. <laughs> get out. You should have hit him with it. it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> up his ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
4: my God. Yeah.
2: Crazy. Wow. Stupid yeah. kid, get out of That's my store. That... <laughs> that last one. Well, yeah. Oh, you, you know, know
5: what that guy
3: was, though. I just yeah. have to say, that is how that guy was. I mean, like, he would do sweet stuff like that. That was just like, you know, like uh, the drop yeah. of a hat.
5: That's very touching. Yeah, it's super sweet. That's nice.
3: I think that that's amazing. That's a great story. Uh, uh,
0: Ashley Moore, as I traveled to New York last year for the Australia from Australia just to see the Frankie and Ed's rig at the Play It Loud exhibition at the Met, was the Timber Marshall on display there the same one as back in the day?
1: I don't know for a fact, but the only stripped one I know of is that one. So maybe maybe i know the guitar is definitely that was uh, guitar which i worked on and you know someone mentioned before me working on that amp what was it like when i first opened that amp for the first time and you know well that's kind of surreal you know mm. uh getting your hands on it it's in your shop and you have this amp and you're like god i got to lock this in the closet or something you know <laughs> like it's like which i which i did several times and we locked it away in a room Wow. Uh, far away from everything. And uh and you know, he had me restore that amp. So the idea was uh hadn't sound sounded right to him for years. And uh at some point in time it had been uh rewired with Teflon wire in the amp and stuff, so it's far from original at this point. And he wanted to put it back to original, so you know the idea was I want to put the original wire back in. Like, okay. Um, so they gave me another Plexi amp to gut the wire out of. (laughs) So we literally took all the wire out of that amp and put it in his original amp. And then I had some theories about stuff I had read over the years and some stuff on how this amp was originally and should have been set up. And also how it was biased and different things like that. And I applied it to that amp after we rewired it and we put original parts in it and and all this stuff. And, you know, we also pulled some parts out of the old amp too, the other amp too, you know, some mustard caps and different things. And uh, in, in the end, when I was done, uh, the coolest thing ever was he called and said, that's the best it sounded in 20 years. So, you know, after that, it's like, well, what I, there's no new goals. There's no, there's nothing, there's nothing higher that I could do at that point. You know what I mean? <laughs> there, there's like, well, now I can just go die.
0: <laughs> right. And, and just for everybody's clarification, the amp is stock. It's a stock. stock mark. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, mine a couple minor parts that are different, but it's not
0: modded for like. No, high it's
1: not modded. No, it's right. no gain mod. It operates like a stock amp.
0: Right, right, right. All right. Well, I want to say, long live Edward Van Halen, VH till I die. Um, and uh, you guys are awesome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for all eight hundred and something people who've been watching all night. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, you guys are awesome. We're going to be back. Uh, the next show, uh, just so you know, is uh, where is it? Um, James Santiago, October twenty third, from UA. UA right. Universal Audio. So that'll be great. Mm-hmm. You guys are awesome. Hang on while everybody while I say goodbye. Have a great weekend,
4: everybody.
5: Take Bye, guys.
4: We love Andy Van Halen. <laughs>